0: A to Z of UK TV drama with Andy and Martin. To an A to Z of UK TV drama,
1: with me Andy and me Martin. Hello, hello. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, considering when we we're, were just saying week twelve of lockdown, <laughs> it's, mm. just, it's
1: just insane. Yes, we're all going slightly mad.
0: <laughs> but um people are listening to this in early September, where there's it's a new dawn, there's new
1: horizons. Uh. Spring has sprung, summer has sprung Autumn autumn has sprung We're diving into autumn, everything's gone brown (laughs) Brown Or orange Everything's starting to die (laughs) It's a nice cheery start To the latest uh, edition
0: Happy September folks
1: Where we are in time is we we, we, uh, we released iClaudius, didn't we, last weekend? We did, and we got some nice feedback. It was People so... have said terribly nice things. For yes. Hurrah to terribly nice people for saying terribly nice things.
0: Although I'm particularly pleased with the response we had to the Fortunes of War podcast from someone. I forget who Apologise, But um, the fact that they said that one particularly because I felt like I put the most work editing into that one to make it flow. So I was really pleased with that um not that i didn't put work into the others but it's just it's just really nice when it's appreciated so thank you do please say if you like our stuff because it's really motivating and
1: it just is nice isn't it and it's not at all they're all ticking along nicely now they all seem to have found their their place and, yeah and we, we, we've we come to the conclusion that to be fair if a series is popular uh, or it's been heard of or its something that people know about. Yep. It's more likely to get an audience. And, and that's fine. Unfortunately, that thing with fortunes of war has always been, which was the bugbear we talked about,
2: yeah.
1: uh, is that people seem to have forgotten all about it, or yeah. it's not something they seek out, and that's a, that's a great shame. So go and listen to the fortunes of war episode. Yes. Right now. Yes. <laughs> no, not right now. Obviously. No, no, not now.
0: <laughs> Carry on listening to this one. On nice work. The letter N. We're at nice work by David Lodge. Did
1: we have? A, did we initially have a lot of choices for N? I can't really remember. We,
0: I don't. I, I think it's remember. one of those ones where we just looked at each other. where we looked at our own yeah. shelves,
1: and then we just mm. both said it almost the same time. And it's like, well, it has to be mm. that one. <laughs> was, yeah. And I think the thing about nice work. I mean, it's a it's a four part uh, drama from 1989, and it kind of it kind of balances weirdly with. The History Man in the sense mm. that was a four-part drama that was from 1981, set in
2: 1972,
1: ish, yeah. and and this one is is made in 1989, about 1986, but also about university life partially, and so I thought they made they they do sort of this the other opposite ends of the scales of the, of the 1980s, and I kind of feel that if that if nothing for that if nothing else they they kind of they might be useful to to look at separately you know yeah and but this... also bear in mind that we did we did cover the, uh, the history man and uh, you know so there are elements that sort of seep in
0: yeah. across the two and specifically i'm interested to see the effect of those labor voting academics who of which some of them turned to thatcher at the end of the 70s and started voting tory mm-hmm. like the lead character from the history man Howard kirk played by anthony share and this mm-hmm. is the impact the, or the start of the impact of those votes <laughs> to indeed, the universities indeed. in the eighties,
1: yeah. So this um, th- this uh, nice work is an adaptation of a uh, an award winning book, the Sunday Express Book of the Year, no less. I know
0: I read that Sunday Express Book of the Year. That's not an award. <laughs> well, it's it's certainly not one you'd be
1: proud of now, is it? <laughs> But um, so and but that was only a year old the book, uh, and the book was about a period of time about two years early, so it was about in the mid eighties. Mm-hmm. We should also say it was. And we should also say it was the end of a trilogy. It, we should also
0: it? say it was shortlisted for the Booker Prize. Oh well, there we go. Which is kind of commendable. It's when it was still the Booker Prize, <laughs> it's called something weird now, isn't it? I don't know what. is not
1: it do not know it the Man Booker or the Orange oh, Man Booker? I think it's even. <laughs> I think it's even moved on from oh, that now. It's probably called it's probably called Welk or something with an exclamation mark. <laughs> Um, Sorry, that's just my excuse for using the word "welk." Thank you very much. It's a good, it's a good word. Um, uh, So it's the third. David Lodge adapting his own book, and it's the the book is the third of a trilogy, but the series isn't part of a trilogy. So that's kind of weird. But there we go. So the first. No, no, it's
0: important. So the first two books are Changing Places and Small World, and this is the final part of the trilogy. Um but I think it shares a few characters. I think Philip Swallow is a character in
1: the other books. Yes, Swallow uh, and Zap. And Zap, who we meet yes. towards the end of Nicework. Yeah. yeah. And and they all exist in the fictional city of Rummage. Oh God,
0: yes they do. Oh honestly, uh, let's talk about that later. And, and indeed although
1: Zap is based in, in the, the the state of euph- euphoric the euphoric state over in uh in Ameriki. Yes. Which, uh, weirdly enough, uh, I I did start uh, when I was a student. Although uh, this was actually after I was a student, yeah. so uh, therefore it's my idea. No, <laughs> well, I, d- I did do a comic strip, or start a comic strip once called The Oblivion State, which ah. hilarious. So uh, it, it just, that just resonated with me because I was going to have there were these twelve was se- twelve separate states, one of which would have probably ended up being euphoric. But oh. there we go. I will have then got sued, and it all gone horribly wrong. <laughs> I never did that. <laughs> I occasionally think of redrawing that, but we'll. Okay. Yeah, I haven't done so far.
0: So, we should also talk about production staff. Um, Christopher Manol was the director, who's not a name I knew, but he directed no. Foresight Saga. And the thing I most know him for, or rather the, the drama that I, I know the most of his list, is Secret Smile, which was that thing with David Tennant where he played in oh, a, right. a Nasty Guy. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's, it's important to mention that David Lodge is very much in the same stable as Malcolm Bradbury who wrote The History Man. They were actually good mm-hmm. friends and they used to talk mm-hmm. about their writing with each other. And the idea of this, this city of rummage that I, I think I want to get into a bit later, not straight away, was very much like Malcolm Bradbury coming up with Watermouth and the University mm-hmm. of Watermouth. And they, they agreed on this creation of fictional places.
1: Fictional, unsuable universities. <laughs>
0: yeah actually let's go with it yeah. now let's talk about this now because it just bugs okay. the hell out of me oh no Look, maybe you should do the synopsis first okay do the synopsis okay and then we'll come back we'll come back and have a rummage
1: yeah <laughs> oh, good one Cutting.
0: dr robin penrose played by hayden Gwyn, is a lecturer in english at rummage university vic wilcox played by Oren clark is the managing director of pringles an engineering firm in rummage They meet when Robin is told by a head of department to shadow Vic as part of Industry Year 1986. They are initially hostile to each other and both question the approaches and values of their vastly different worlds. But something is awakening in Vic and a business trip with Robin is about to change everything. Dun, dun, dun! (laughs) Yeah, I thought I'd make it a bit more (laughs) cliffhanger-y.
1: All right, I want to get back to... It's a bit bit of a love story, though.
0: Ah, (laughs) Brilliant! Loved it! I can't do the accent. Can you do the accent? No, no, neither,
1: apparently neither can I. But there we go. <laughs> one, one shouldn't. One shouldn't. No, um, please yeah. do. Throat. Liberally. No, I'm not gonna. It, it'll do me throat. Never try the whole thing. Okay. <laughs> so
0: this issue of calling this place rummage—it's so obviously Birmingham that what is the <laughs> fucking point? <laughs> really annoyed it. me because it's it. filmed at the campus for the University of Birmingham, which mm-hmm. well I've been In there, Birmingham. so I knew it obviously. But mm-hmm. the big clock tower—you can't you can't um, miss no but it's obviously from the roads and the aerial shops it's also Birmingham and why pretend it's somewhere else because he was a professor of English at Birmingham himself Mm -hmm. so to just link it so directly and then Mm. to worry about oh well let's just call it rummage instead it's like Mm. no and his reason was because because otherwise um, real things happen in the real world and if If when you're doing something that was set a few years ago, well, then it can't fit. It's like, well, no, Mm. that doesn't make sense because you're talking about Tory cuts affecting the university in 1986 and how industries were doing things at this time. And you wanting to talk about the real world. So why invent a city? Do you know what Mm. I mean?
1: Oh, yeah. I suppose it's it's just to avoid that whole it's autobiography. Autobiographical thing that sometimes writers get, but also there's this whole all all his colleagues going, "Yeah, hey, that's based on me, isn't it?" And of course, they would do that anyway if they wanted to, if they were interested. But um yeah, I don't know. I miss... It's like it's like saying, "All right, we're going to create this series
0: called Tenko, and it's mm. about a war between the Perpetents and the Flobly Lobs, and we'll, <laughs> rather than calling it
1: Singapore, yeah. we'll call it Plob Plob." And yeah. you know what
0: I mean it's just like why? one
1: it's it's one of it's one of those difficult things because i mean in zed Cars, you've got new town which is to really Liverpool you know uh, that's okay though side.
0: because it's it's sort of a nondescript name it's when you go for a name like Rummage, mm. it just it's,
1: it smacks of tom sharp
0: mm. anyway
1: yeah no it is, it, it is interesting you you i i i know i'm never quite it's like you know was it ambridge same thing you know, yeah it's, there's these places these fictional places that exist in the real world i mean even to, to a certain extent springfield in the simpsons yes but, you know uh, the you know it's not a real place but it relates but it go, they go to real places yeah. and and to a certain extent that's what happens in this you know the 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 two sort of university sites that are mentioned the two university towns that are mentioned are fictional but they exist in the real world
0: you mean? I think they do yeah yeah
1: yeah, and and when when uh, I mean, there's a subplot about going and working in the city, now they obviously go and work in London. They don't go to, they say Flibbly um, <laughs> you know, you know, in the in the massive capital city of Flibbly Flob. <laughs> but don't this is there. the problem
0: I have. It just takes it take took me out of the drama every time they mm. mentioned rummage. It took me out mm. of it, and I just think, well, you need to think about that. I think when you're doing a TV TV adaptation, I think with the book it's mm. slightly different. Mm. That's my the view.
1: Yes, yeah. You know, it, it, I, I suppose if they, you know, it's kind of it's it's, it's chicken and egg. And I mean, it, well, is it chicken and egg? But anyway, it's like you know, if they if they relocated it for the TV series, people would have said, "Oh, but it's not." You know, the book's set in. You know, you should be doing rummage and vice versa. And people adaptations of books. I mean, we've done quite a few adaptations of books. Yeah, more than we anticipated. We <laughs> yes, you know, it's uh, but um, but you know when when they when they come in, you know. People can be disappointed. I mean, again, I have the horrible feeling, having uh, to to look at this as a whole, is it's it's one of those things that works better as a book probably than it might not dramatically. It's it's an odd beast. Well, you don't know whether I love it yet or not, do you? I don't know whether you love <laughs> it. Yet. I'm just I'm just I'm just nailing my my colours to the mast and saying I found it stylistically odd. Okay. And I found it stylistically odd because there were times when nothing much was happening and so we got wonderful aerial shots of of not Birmingham, apparently, and cars going along motorways with bloody Jennifer Rush going in the background. The Power of Love. If you don't
0: like (laughs) The Power of Love by Jennifer Rush, do not watch Nice Work.
1: (laughs) Also, there were things like screen wipes and split screens and what have you, which, again, having just watched the Cleopatra's for my own Joy. <laughs> joy, I don't think it was joy, was it? No. Well, it was. It's, it's an odd beast. Um, <laughs> we'll come back to it one day, I'm sure. Yeah. But uh, it, the sort of picture-in-picture picture and everything like that, it's fine if you use it consistently. Although you know, it's just it can be it can be peculiar. So it was stylistically peculiar, I thought. Yes, I agree. The, the, the
0: split screens for phone calls, and it was the fact that, mm. that it was mainly for phone calls. Well, of course, that's because you're showing two different locations but it, it felt so old-fashioned and 70s yes, thing. Yeah. and mm. odd and occasionally it would be it would be splitting the screen in two and occasionally it'd be splitting the screen like horizontally and vertically it just changed mm. and it was it was very mysterious and there's even mm. a dream sequence in the final episode yes well there's several sort of like lusty dream sequences earlier but yes. we'll come to those
1: well I guess, I guess this is part of the thing i mean it, it, it Probably is one of those things is how do you adapt a book for the screen and sometimes it's you know i mean mean, he's adapting his own book for the screen this is the thing you've got to realize it's not somebody else taking you know his um his story and and adapting it for a screenplay david lodge is doing it himself here yeah and so maybe that's the only way you could think of of getting that across that scene across or that state of mind and Again, it just means it's stylistically odd. Now, again, I know a lot of these directorial choices, and and you know, we, who are we to you know disagree uh, with a director who makes those decisions? But in the end, it's not consistent across the four episodes, and that's what I found. Yeah, and that sticks out. Odd. You're right. Yeah, it sticks out. And because this, you, you're you know,
0: starting to see one sort of format, and then they don't have it for twenty minutes, and
1: it's like, well, why? Yeah. I mean again I I I put off I watched the first 3 and I I put off watching the 4th for a while and when I came back to the 4th it felt like it was a completely different series right and, and so I felt that the, the the last part was a bit of a kind of uh wish fulfillment fantasy almost a comedy and the first one was trying to be gritty northern drama yeah and and somehow the welding of those uh, again stylistically odd so, I would you know, argue it's I'm, because I, the, I'm, the book doesn't I'm know what it wants to colours. be
0: I think the book doesn't know what it wants to be necessarily
1: and therefore Possibly,
0: yes. the TV series can't know what it wants to be because the book is such close subject matter
1: as a, as a book, if it's the end or the 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 culmination of a trilogy, and like I say the te- television hasn't got the first two parts, it's it's like this this is the final series of the tripods, you know. This is no, I don't think it's the same. Oh, because because nice work this is, this
0: is a completely different story to what's in the first two, so I think it's a very hmm. loose trilogy. So I don't think. Yeah, but
1: but but stylistically, that you know might have some impact, yeah. but because I, I mean, uh, in the books, uh, swallow and zap are supposed to be. You know, at loggerheads, uh, but or or rivals, academic rivals, I believe, and and they, you know, so it, it and you kind of think maybe uh, who who plays uh, swallow You might have thought, uh, oh, I've got a great part here. Well done me. Um, what's, his, what's his name? I've, I've lost his name. No, oh, I don't know. I'm afraid um, I haven't got it. No, it's all right. I'll find it. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Godwin, and he was oh oh key role. Yeah. <laughs> No. And he's in two parts in in about about four scenes, yeah. you know, which are important scenes. But you know, it, I mean, it's a nice it's a nice part and it's nice nicely played. But the the story is about basically Warren Clark's character and Hay, Hayden Gwynne's character.
3: Doctor Robin Penrose, I'm sorry I'm late. I'm afraid I got lost. Oh. Well, I've never been to this part of Ramage before.
4: I thought perhaps you were on. Uh another demo I'm sorry didn't I see you outside the university on Monday
3: yes you probably did smoke no thanks
4: what were you protesting about Pay.
3: Pay and the cuts
4: oh you want more money and no cuts that's right think the country can afford it
3: Certainly, if we spent less on defence and more on the things. This company makes remote.
4: gearbox casings for Challenger tanks, and conrods for armoured personnel carriers. Now, if those contracts were cancelled, your cuts become ours.
3: Well, you could make something else, something peaceful. Like what? I can't tell you what to make. It's not my business.
1: No, it's mine. Um. Now, when you when you look at Warren Clark's. Career, it's a surprising career. Do you not think? You
0: think yes, and I was career? I was particularly interested to see where it fits because it's immediately after he did the first series of Wish Me Luck, where he was playing mm. a German officer, which obviously I know a lot about because I um, wrote a booklet for the DVD release and talked yeah. to a lot of the actors. I didn't talk to him though, but um, mm. but it's a very different role, and mm. and then you, of course you've got DLM Pasco later. Um, mm. I really feel that he gives an excellent performance
1: in this. I'll... Oh yes, I have. I, I've written down at some point, you know, uh, Warren Clark acting superb. Mm. So you know, yes, I mean, in, in a particular scene, but uh, and he is—he's very good in it. And I mean, when you think about it, he's in A Clockwork Orange*. You know, he's—he's—he's he's, a—you know—he's a big actor in in many ways. You know, and yet, not necessarily your traditional idea as a, as a romantic lead. But then again traditional ideas of romantic leads get us into all sorts of nonsense. And I think it's deliberately
0: playing against that. But it's also he's also very Mm. much... I think this is trying to appeal as an everyman character to all those people who work in industry who might have Mm. popped on the TV at 10pm on Mm. BBC2. Maybe, though, just so they could see a few tits and ass. You know, I mean, that is kind (laughs) of the... It's the same history man slot of we can be a bit sexy here. And, my God, Mm. nice work is very sexy, You know, it's it's there's a lot of sexual content. Yeah. 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 Um, Can I talk about my initial revelation? And I was like, oh, I'm amazing. And then I was like, oh, everyone else thought this, too. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. So last year when I was in Australia, um, because I spend a lot. It's not as glamorous as it sounds. I um, I was actually in Australia. (laughs) Well, no, my, my traveling life, my currently grounded traveling life. I spent a lot of time in hotel rooms thinking, what TV series should I binge next? <laughs> yes. And I watched something called North and South, the version with Daniela okay. Denbyash and Richard Armitage. And it's all about a woman coming to to a family that goes through a bad financial time because the women mm-hmm. have no money at that time. And therefore, they have, in reduced circumstances, come to this mill town. And she sees this factory and how it works and she's horrified by it and she complains and she causes mm. troubles that lead to, to, to a strike and and she's like loggerhead, loggerheads with Richard Armitage throughout but also falling in love with him and mm. it's basically I thought oh my god this is kind of like north and south and I was like oh wow is this plagiarized or is this deliberate um is this a <laughs> deliberate parody and then I discover oh it's deliberate parody <laughs> David Lodge <laughs> knew this but um, I was quite pleased to have noticed it, even though mm. it was deliberate.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, I mean, you know, it, it, this whole thing about uh, she, she, the uh, Hayden Gwynn, yeah, uh, Robin Penrose is 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 a literary professor or a literary sub professor or whatever the designation is. Uh, literature, and and of course, the lit- industrial literature. She she basically the thing turns into one of the novels that she was studying, sort of. Well, no, e- so, even
0: yeah. impossibly so at the end, and it's something else oh, well, that I yeah, let, quite realise. We'll come yeah, to that, yeah. The, the, the end, really, um, yeah. yeah. Yes, <laughs> we'll come to that. But um, yes. what I didn't know about Hayden Gwynne um, is that yeah. before she went into acting, she was an English literature lecturer. Dun, dun, dun. Isn't
1: that
0: interesting? And this could be, feasibly be called an A to Z of UK <laughs> English literature <laughs> lecturers. Which I've said so many times now that I can say it without stumbling over it because it's actually quite hard to say no. but honestly this is about our fifth
1: <laughs> yes but at least it's slightly further south than would be been...
0: <laughs> I mean we've had um, um, we had um, we've had um what she called Annie Callender in the history man we had hmm. Guy Pringle in fortunes we had hmm. um whatever chappie's character was in um GBH what was he called?
1: Oh Robert, Robert Lindsay. No, no,
0: no, no. The the lecturer Sorry, yes.
1: Yes. Yes, Him. yes, I know
0: who you mean. The one who's we'll, um, we'll
1: edit that in later. The one, <laughs> the one who's in Live of Birds, what's he called? Oh God. Oh God, Lu- Lucian, yes, Michael Angelis. Michael yes. Angelis
0: is the English teacher this. <laughs> and there's probably Oh no then there's the English teacher in Biderbeck, so it's like mm. How are we how are we doing this so
1: regularly? It's like half of them. <laughs> are they just peppered throughout the history of Writers nice. writing about writers. And if I someone know, had said to me, know.
0: right, I want you to do a drama about an English lecturer, I would be like, mm. there aren't any. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wrong! Well, it's the same way we suddenly found out everything we were doing was Yorkshire-based for a while. Yes! I, think, so, so, I don't know. I mean, if, you, if you're doing this process, it just sometimes happens that way. Mm. You know? I mean, um, to be fair... I'm assuming there won't be many more, but hey, who knows? That's what we thought, that's what I thought before this one. I
3: was
0: like, what is she doing to <laughs> oh, well, Are you all, serious? <laughs> <sighs> <Yeah>. <sighs>
1: maybe we're drawn to it and we just don't really Yeah,
0: maybe it's, it's subconscious.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Oh dear me.
3: You see the ambiguous appeal of industry to the feminine unconscious even more clearly in a passage from Mrs Gaskell's North and South. We would do if I could find the place. Here we are. Now this is a passage where the genteel heroine Margaret has been taken to task by her mother for using um, industrial slang to which Margaret says if I live in a factory town I must speak factory language when I want it. it. Why Mama I could astonish you with a great many words you never heard in your life. Uh, I don't believe you know what a knobstick is. Not I, child, replies her mother. I only know it has a very vulgar sound and I don't want to hear you using it. I think we all know what a knobstick is. <laughs> Metaphorically.
0: We should talk about some of the rest of the cast. You've got David Calder in a depressingly mm. small role.
1: Yes, that's, that's, that's post-Star um, Cops, isn't it? So. Yeah. And you've got Janet Dale, Janet
0: Dale, who Mm. I know best as being wonderfully underplayed character in The Last Train Mm. and one of the survivors of that apocalypse. And Mm. she's a really important but small character and very deliberately Mm. not just just is allowed to be a middle aged woman. And that is good and well written, which is unusual. Mm. How do you think she's served
1: here? it's not great um yeah. i mean basically uh if, if i mean the opening of the first episode sort of pans across from an early alarm clock to uh the bedside unhappy was it unhappy menopause i've written about, i've written down horrible horrible bed cover yeah well yes but next to the bed cover sorry it <laughs> was so book, horrible I there's this book explain. which is supposed to tell us everything about the, their relationship in this one tracking shot uh oh, yeah. Uh, you know, because uh, then you get a contrast with Hayden Gwynn getting up in her chaotic life. Oh my God! You know, yeah. and to go off and on her day of action. I do think they struggled
0: really? to make her house look look messy.
1: It's like I, I've, I know people like that, unfortunately, uh, and and it was terribly well designed, wasn't it? <laughs> yes,
0: it was. It was far too neat, and it was like oh, this papers all over the place. It's like no, there it isn't. Having,
1: having actually, have, having actually just spent uh, a day decluttering my kitchen for a delivery. <laughs> yeah. I know exactly what, what living in, in a complete crap hole is because that's how I do. But, but it what wasn't, was
0: not the... the point is, it wasn't there. Well, was my it? house was, yes. No, theirs wasn't. There. No, yes. Really not.
1: <laughs> my house still is, but let's not go there. I'm doing this instead. <laughs> <laughs> but no, if you actually go to the uh, Nice Work TV series page on Wikipedia, they only actually mention seven actors. Uh, okay. Uh, Which are uh, uh, Robin Penrose, played by Hayden Gwynn; Vic Wilcox, played by Warren Clark; Marjorie Wilcox, played by Janet Dale, who doesn't even get a link;
2: Mm. Uh,
1: Brian Everthorpe, played by John Forchum; Stuart Baxter, played by David Calder, so at least David makes the cut; Philip Swallow, played by Christopher God. Godwin and Rupert Sutcliffe, played by Terry Coates. Now, I looked at this list and thought, I don't remember Rupert. Which one was Rupert's? No, I don't. <laughs> because, because the boyfriend, Charles, isn't even in the list of characters. Wow, he's quite a key character. He's an awful you person. You would think. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, horrible man. Yes, horrible man. Uh, <laughs> and he is played by Martin Jacobs. Oh, I've never heard in of him. That's years. probably why. Yeah, so,
0: this it's first it's episode, in... you've got the contrast between Penrose and Wilcox. And...
1: University life and, and graft life in, in graft of factory. Yeah. So what inspired Lodge to well, this? factory, I, factory, I suppose. <laughs> factory. Yeah, factory. what
0: inspired Lodge was that he'd actually been in... he he'd was done a this,
1: had I. What? <laughs> he'd done this, had I. He'd actually gone in... The... <laughs> yeah, he'd done the shadowing. He'd actually done it
0: off right. his own bat. Um, mm. I think. I think he decided okay. to, to find out. Um, mm. And was presumably working towards a novel at the time and maybe this one. Mm. But um, yes. his starting point was completely different. I was listening to mm. a podcast with him from 2004 when they were talking oh. about this as an historical novel, so it's an ancient historical mm. novel now. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but he was saying that he felt that it would be more interesting to look at Warren Clark's character after he'd been made redundant. And it was about what does a man do next after all his life has been working right. for this one factory? Mm. Okay. And then he got really interested through the shadowing scheme in the actual mechanics of managing a factory and how you deal mm. with that. So he mm. kind of got that idea. And then, of course, the Victorian novel came in of the contrast mm. between a demure life and the life within a factory,
1: and, mm. which is not nice work. There, I said it. No. <laughs> but it also, I mean, this is the thing about the parallels between university, uh, a university campus sort of job and uh industrial you know real world horrible job in in a factory and the two and how those those two sit together and that's kind of weird really i mean i i find it odd because the sad thing is for me is that for a good 10 years i worked in a factory yeah but i worked in shall we say the white collar bit of the factory yeah uh, so a lot of the things that come up in this, they resonate something chronic. Oh, did they? I, mean, I, I thought remember. they might. You know, there's there's an awful lot of stuff in there that you think, yeah, I remember that. Mm. And uh, uh, being a great big softy, I mean, art student, art graduate, graphic design type, <laughs> to sort of to be sitting amongst uh, in this environment, uh, it is actually very debilitating it really does grind you down over a long period of time and that and we were in the easy bit you know yes i mean i i I can remember i used to go in early because of traffic and all this sort of thing and i remember just sitting there with my book (laughs) (laughs) reading my book in the morning because i used to think i'm they're not paying me to be here until x x o'clock so i would read my book and a cleaner came in one morning and and she'd sort of she the only thing she could think of to talk about because uh, I was the only one sitting there, and she sort of say, "You yeah, know, you going anywhere nice to your holidays this year?" And the the you when know, I and I sort of said, "Oh, I've, I can't really afford it." And she just went, "What well, on? What you're paid up here?" And it's this whole thing. People just assume, yeah, that there's there's this divide, uh-huh. you know, between the, the guys on the shop floor and and the guys in the offices, and actually they've got more in common than they think they have. Yeah, but it, but the fact is that, you know. Um, I I remember being in a meeting. Watson made some vague reference to Dostoevsky, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and they all looked at me like I'd sneezed or something. Yes. <laughs> <you up?"> yeah, <laughs> And that's a problem. You know that it's not about. I don't think it's 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 not necessarily about lack of education. It's about lack of opportunities to see a different a, a different world. And that's actually one of the things this this story does start to do. It's it's making people aware of other ways of living yeah and i kind of find that fascinating yeah i agree i think I mean, that's a really interesting narrative I mean, thrust the, the problem is that it, the, the certainly the first episode there was so much workplace shite that just seemed so familiar that i was i was actually quite resistant to episode 1 it you know it kind of bugged me But, of course you get all this stuff i mean you you now we're in the i mean this is an 80s fable really uh, i think overall and, yeah it's definitely a fable
0: it's, it's it's clearly a literary decision and device rather than we're just having a, a regular run of the mill drama this is trying to be something very specific carry on
1: and you also see subtly in the in the course of the episode or the episodes the, the growth of this shall we say private enterprise business that um, um brian has invested in we find out eventually in the sunbed business and people going into private end, and, and as, as heavy industry is beginning to die and those jobs are starting to disappear, these you start to see these little vans and of, of sunbed hire popping up all over the place. And, and, it was, and that it's becomes quite a metaphor, odd. yes,
0: it's quite odd though, isn't it? Because initially, you think they haven't just got enough artificial stock vans and then you realize it's deliberate and that you're meant to keep seeing these vans and mm, it's absolutely right. metaphorical it's about the rise mm. of these small businesses and mm. how this is the way things are going to go and the big old businesses are going to be some of them are going to mm. be torn down mm. and are not going to survive yes. i just wanted to what mention a shot okay. that i really liked which was um i called it the reverse working girl shot in my notes which mm-hmm. is, um, there's the shot at the end of Working Girl where Melanie Griffiths arrives and it's playing Let the River Run and all that, and, and yeah, okay. then this... Not, not Jennifer Rush. No. And they zoom out, and how dare you compare Carly Simon to Jennifer Rush. I'll have your head!
1: No, it's just, just as the choice of soundtrack, that's all. I know.
0: And they're zooming out, and they suddenly see that, yes, she's arrived, she's got this big office, but she's one of, like, a thousand officers in this big office mm. block in New York. And we get mm. the reverse one of Midland amalgamated, where you, you're zooming in, and then you see mm. Warren Clark in his office, mm. and and he's you see he's small, but you're starting out big, and it's an interesting deliberate mm. thing. Mm. So there, reverse working girl the... shot
1: tick. <laughs> <laughs> I think the interesting thing about episode one, apart from the fact, like I say, that the I mean you, the thing I mean there's a, there's a, th- a thread, for example, about. Um, the academic response to topless calendars as opposed to the working person's response to topless calendars and how um how i mean that was actually in a period of change you know in offices generally that was happening around about that time uh and it, it it's interesting that the mother of the uh model one of them the girl who wants to be a model because that's her escape from ending up in the factory is all in favor of her daughter becoming a model and actually does all she can <clears throat> to help you know or push to get her modeling jobs and yet actually there's immediately the academic snottiness about it which is perfectly understandable because you know you come from a place where it isn't acceptable it is degrading and yet you know you you actually understand you, you understand in within the culture it actually is as an escape route if you see what I mean. I mean at that time you've got people like what was her name, Samantha Fox, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, who was becoming a celebrity because she'd basically been on page three. And so it was it was an it was an like like you know, boxing sport can be an escape route from ending up in the factory. So could modeling for, for girls back then. And yet what you've got in this this opening episode is you get two parallel meetings. You, know, you get a university meeting compared and contrasted with a business meeting. You see how the two worlds don't quite gel or mesh. And so when Hayden Gwynn's character is dropped into the factory, it's just she is aghast because she is just saying this is how people live. Yeah um i don't know it, it, it does well, it yeah.
0: does i just want to go back to the posters though i was trying to nip in there um sorry that's <laughs> no, okay because um when i did my first job in 95 hmm. it was um i worked mainly with all women all my life um and i went in as a deputy manager and i in a, a an oxford college and it was, a, it was a small library that supported um business and management so we had our links with industry which is interesting because we were university linked with industry so that was something i understood um in fact i used to support a librarian who supported unipart which was a um, engineering um, company and i used to go over them to help them work out how they support their information unit and it was really interesting to see that that again that that balance of university and business but um when i went when I got there, I for interview, there was a giant picture of a naked man on the wall in the, in the staff office. And it That's was good. a really long picture. It was advertising Swiss Air, and it was the back view. Um, and I didn't really think anything of it, but when I arrived mm. and I got the job, it had gone. And so there'd obviously <laughs> been a discussion that if a man got the job, then it would go. Um, I thought it was a bit of a shame because he had a good bum, this guy, but... <laughs> They just
1: painted on some wire fronts, at the back, you know, <laughs> but it was or the back of some white. It's front. just really funny that I had that situation in a sort of reverse way in 95. Yeah. Anyway, it is it is strange actually because I mean I I obviously I've worked in in offices, but I, I was at the the cutting edge. Uh, you know when uh, Apple Macs were introduced into studios. You know we were we were there, and we had a um, HR person who came to the office from our parent company every so often, and we had the directive about people not having the pin-up girls on their screen saver um, pages you know uh, and rightly so but, but that was they say i remember that transition happening very you know, the, the the people you know they the would have was the name Gillian anderson and in various under pantry photographs i think are you, yes. are you talking about Pam Anderson, or are you actually talking about Gillian anderson no jillian oh really Gillian anderson but, but a lot of people in graphics like their sci-fi <laughs> oh, i didn't realize that they had she did panty shots uh, well, you know what were they called? What was that magazine? That <laughs> panty shots. I feel
0: like this is a new genre that we're describing. Panty shots.
1: F- F- FHM calendars and things. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. They were all doing. They were all doing it in the nineties. Again, it's kind of, uh, you know. Well, I, I like to say it's gone the way of the dodo, but I'm not sure it has really. It's, no, it's, it's just gone underground, just
0: like racism. That's all. <clears throat>
2: yeah, well, it's we, not underground.
1: We started anymore. watching a, a new a new Netflix series last night, and. Uh... <laughs> Uh, basically, uh, the, the thing about any first episode of any Netflix series is it has lots of nudity in it just to get you interested, yeah. apparently. And uh, Pitt just turned around to me at one point and said, you see, everybody wears those tidy pants now. And I thought, mm, they do on television. I'm not sure they do in the real world. Otherwise, they wouldn't sell them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the plot. Moving
0: on. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the way that we have... Already some literary comparisons. We, mm. we get talk of Mr. Gradgrind. I, I can't remember which one he's from. Is he from Hard Times or is he from something else? Oh. I don't know. But the point is... he de- looked into that. He despises <laughs> emotions and only likes facts. And we're meant to immediately okay. believe that this is Wilcox. You know, that this is all mm. that he's only interested in facts. And from what we first see in episode one, yeah, he is. Mm. He's completely factual. He's scientific about what mm. he's interested in. And mm. it, it's not interested in arts and emotions. And we discover... Mm. In fact, through the drama, that this has been kept down in him and kept separate from his working mm. life and from his family life. Mm. Actually, that he's just not explored that stuff. But he's got such a All an... he
1: needed was to meet the right yeah, academic he's and he got such flower a well beautiful,
0: into beautiful bloom. bloom. He's got a wellspring of emotion and passion that's just mm. waiting to come out.
4: I've never bought draft bitter for a woman before. <laughs>
0: Must have had a very limited
3: experience of life
0: then.
4: No, you're dead right there. sometimes when I'm lying awake in the small hours instead of counting sheep, I count things I've never done. Like what? Oh, like I've, uh, I've never skied. I've never windsurfed. I never learned to play a musical instrument or speak a foreign language or ride a horse. I've never climbed a mountain or pitched a tent or caught a fish. I've never seen Niagara Falls, yeah. or been up the Eiffel Tower, or even the Tower of London. I've never. Oh, I could go on, and on.
3: Still time?
4: No, it's too late. Well, I'm fit for is work. It's about
1: the only thing I'm any good at.
3: Well, that's something.
1: It's a lot. We could all argue that you know everybody could write the great novel if only they had the opportunity, and uh, you know maybe that's not strictly as true as we like to believe that everybody isn't quite as creative as that. But nevertheless, it's one of the fundamentals of that sort of belief. the The fascinating thing to me in the first one really is is this. The, the pragmatism the realism of real people need real jobs you know and the, and and yet as an outsider she comes in and, and and gives all the all the stuff about uh equality of oppression and yes all this kind of thing and you just and you know and the, the fundamentally but you see some fundamental racism within oh, the work totally you know uh which again wasn't you know and, and this this story of the vandalized toilets which which pops up again later you know it it's it's this whole thing you 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 know you give um what, what's the thing you give a functionary a <laughs> yes exactly From carnival monsters
0: yeah. you give fun- a functionary a hygiene chamber and they store um fossil fuels in it fossil fuel in it which yeah. of course was a a rip of... um you give, you give um, a miner a yeah. bath yeah you store yeah. coal in it and this is the same story really which is basically saying that they the Workers at the factory vandalised the toilets once they did up new toilets. So he's like, so what's the point? But what is the point of that story? What is the point of that metaphor?
3: To me, the whole setup is racist. Rubbish. Why aren't they eating in here, then?
4: There aren't any operatives in here, white or black, because they'd have to take their overalls off and they can't be bothered. You don't want to get sentimental about the workers, you know. Last November, we put new toilets in the fettling shop. In two weeks, they were all vandalised. Disgusting it was.
3: Perhaps it was a form of revenge.
4: <laughs> Against me, for giving them new
1: toilets.
3: Against the system, the factory system. It's unconscious. The return of the repressed.
1: Well, I think it's it's Vic trying to prove that he, he's he's actually tried to improve things. Yeah. And, and he obviously is the kind of person who wants to improve things, but somehow these things are always seen as empty gestures within the workplace because, you know, workplaces in themselves, there will always be resentment against the management, no matter what. Yeah, and indeed, this comes to pass. The more he tries to be progressive, the worse his own situation becomes. Yeah, absolutely, sure. yeah. And the tensions, you know, yeah. sort of grow. You know? and, it, it, and of it, course, it's... when... Sorry, yes, go on.
0: Yeah, I just want to say it's my experience too—the the them and us—because I've been on both sides mm. of the table. And however mm. you play it, you are—it's—it's mm. it's impossible to get over them and us. Almost impossible. Mm. And you just got to accept but that the it's idealist, real. when the
1: idealist, yeah, and you get the idealist um, Hayden Gwynn, uh, Robin Penrose stepping in to try and tell this guy, but they're having a meeting, which basically means you'll be fired because there's this constructive dismissal thing that that she's she's in a meeting, she sees them plotting how they want to get rid of this person they think is useless in terms of the job and how they can make that happen without you know having to pay him compensation and what have you and she goes in and tries to fix this and just makes the situation worse she's so hamfisted of, she's so hamfisted yeah, the, it's wrong. and the frustration of business is that you know they have to do things one way and and the idealist can't really fit in with that and idealism and business are very difficult bedfellows you know
0: yeah I was um, just on, a, on an actory note. I was pleased to see that it was Tarek Yunus playing Danny Ram, the character whose mm-hmm. job she's trying to save, and it's cast from Robots of Death, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's she handles it in a very ham-fisted way. She's not aware of the wider ramifications, and he, as you said, the reality of the fact that people want to keep their jobs, and yes, she's trying to help him keep his job, but she's not aware of of the way the factory works, and she's really. Interfering in a way that is ultimately not helpful, mm.
1: but yeah, I also think it's interesting that the parallels in that in that first episode specifically about their two characters are. I mean, they nearly meet right at the beginning, don't they? There's a protest going on which stops the traffic, and she's leafleting cars, and he's stuck in the traffic queue trying to get to work and basically going blah blah bloody bloody university people on strike blah blah you know stopping me getting to work yada, yada. and um and it, and they have this very near miss but he he recognizes her he sees her uh and and then when she has to do this she's forced by circumstances within the university to save her own job to actually be the person who gets because all the men have a meeting in the toilet, which is very significant. Yeah, Most of the big decisions being made in toilet. Yes, totally. Um, <laughs> and, and they can talk about her without her be- knowing, you know, being there, theoretically. And um, uh, so she gets foisted into this yes. this shadow scheme. Because of the old school tie, effectively, the gentleman's club in the toilet. Yeah, A shadow, as the name implies, is someone who follows another person around all day
4: as he goes about his normal work. A regular visit of one day a week throughout the winter term would suffice. What about it, Rupert? Hmm? Not my cup of tea, I'm afraid. A cup of tea. Very good, Rupert. A cup of tea, I said. Uh, Not my
0: cup of tea. A tea? (laughs) Uh, What about you, Bob? Sorry, Philip. With all the AUT business over the strike, it's quite impossible. You know, I really ought to be able to order one of you two to do this. But you can't. Not without holding a department meeting to discuss it.
4: I know. There isn't time. Why not ask Robin Penrose? Robin? Good idea. After all, she's just written a book on the Victorian industrial novel. Yes, it's hardly the same thing, is it? Well, anyway, why should she? she's only temporary. Well, she's going to need a reference, isn't she?
0: Oh, well, no, that's a thought.
1: Yeah. And, of course, mm-hmm. when you see uh, Vic's... Big Jaguar with his personalised number plate. God, I hate personalised number plate. Oh yeah. Okay. When, when he sweeps into the car park. Big one hundred. <laughs> yeah, and then she rattles in in her crappy little whatever it is. Renault five. Re- crappy little Renault. I think it is a Renault. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to share because I'd show me car ignorance and uh, well, I on that bombshell. I don't know anything no. about cars, um, <laughs> No. So I didn't, I didn't want to do me Jeremy Clarkson bit. But I think, so, it, was the, um, I think
0: it was the 1986 equivalent of Howard Kirk's 1972 minivan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> possibly yeah yeah it's true yeah, yeah, yeah. it was is it was what like i mean to be fair it would have been too much of a cliche to stick her in a two cv so yeah. yeah so i wanted to talk about
0: robin penrose's experience of the hellscape that is the factory um, <laughs> it's it's overly dramatically directed deliberately i think to heighten mm. just how new this is for her in her in a closet yes. a world and suddenly she's She's seeing fire and dirt and she can't believe how dirty it all is. And it's like, it's a bit silly Mm. because her imagination must be better than that, I would hope, as an English professor Mm. or an English um, doctor. Um, And it's just, it also feels sexist because it's like, oh, a woman doesn't understand about dirt. And it's like, oh Mm. God. But I think it's meant to be this heightened reaction, which is very much like the lead character's reaction in North North and South when she gets to the factory, she can't Mm. believe. And Richard Armitage is like, well... How else do you expect them to, to do this stuff? You know, mm. it's dirty work. Mm. It's not nice mm. work, to repeat that. But um, mm. I just think it's, it feels in this first episode that it's not quite in check or or flowing quite right. And it just feels overblown in parts. And other times it doesn't mm. like it know what it wants to be. It's, yeah. I wrote down, it's just
1: not tight enough. Mm. I actually wondered, it was one of those things that, you know, you idly wonder as you're watching something, perhaps when you're not, Quite as engaged with it as you think you ought to be, but uh, I did wonder when they were setting up the series uh, wh- whether they had to try and find a suitable factory that did all the things that they're supposed to do. Because it's almost like, uh, it, in many ways, it almost feels too industrial for the business they yes. say they're running. Yes, you know, yeah. it's almost like there's too much sweat and grime and too much horrible sexism and racism and, mm. and leery faces and uh it's i don't know how many of the extras were actual workers from the factory or whether i assume it was a functioning factory in those days it probably isn't now because i mean there is a lot of uh sort of panning shots of demolished empty sites that was just saying that the world is changing this is the 80s heavy industry is going the way of the dodo at this point uh and so you do see all these i mean vic pulls his car up outside one completely flattened factory site and we know that's actually what's going to happen to the place he's working to in the end. You know, you get that sense. But uh, I just wonder whether, you know, they actually, when they went to do the interiors, they had to, you know, go off to some other city because it just didn't exist anymore, you know. But it just seemed slightly too heavy industrial for because the, they said, oh, we make all sorts of gadgets and things and everything like that. But um Indeed, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, it just felt a little bit, I mean, you know, over-egged, if you like. I, I feel that these are 55-minute episodes. Yeah. Every uh, every episode seems to be about 10 minutes long, and there's a lot of tracking shots with with Jennifer. (laughs) Yes, the aerial shots were were very lengthy and to
0: no great effect. And there's lots of shots of people pulling up in their cars and parking Mm. their cars. It's like, it doesn't advance the plot and i think it was just at tv production then it was just yeah you can do more of that and it it kind of reminds me of like attack of the cybermen where there's a lot of that
1: goes on as well in doctor who where it's just like well it, it, endless moments which you don't need yeah. it could be the you know the uh, you know might be trying to get across the anonymity of the great industrial machine and when you pull back in your helicopter everybody just turns into a dot really yes and, and it you know, could be that that working girl that. thing again yeah mm. But I don't. But you know, and and the big Jaguar is meaningless when you're looking at you know from a bird's eye view. I literally don't know. I just I just felt that sometimes these tracking shots didn't half go on a bit, and maybe it's because they were always backed by Jennifer. <laughs> Bloody
0: no, it's funny the Jennifer Rush thing because I really mm. didn't like that song because it was overplayed in the '80s. And. Mm. Particularly in 1986, which is why they've chosen it, because hmm. um, so it was number hmm. one for about three years. Like can't be, you know it felt like it.
1: till 1989.
0: Yeah, they made those. Nice work.
1: no, Jennifer still at number one? <laughs> yeah, yeah yes, it's so We Can't yeah. knock
0: her off. But um, it's, I actually it's, hate. It's, let me say, I hated that song <laughs> um, at the time. Yeah. But actually, I really kind of liked it in this. I kind of felt that it worked in a sort of ironic way because it fitted. I feel that. I think it fitted with Warren me. Clark's characters. Oh, God, very yes, no, please. So it's completely appropriate. Of Don't get me wrong. Love and what it yeah. is to be in love, and you are my lady and I am your man, and all this stuff. It was, no, it's the other way around, isn't it? I'm your lady and you're my man. No, which, Whichever. <laughs> but the point is, it fitted perfectly with yeah. the narrative I felt, with his very hugely mm-hmm. um, ro- romantic conception mm-hmm. of what love yes. is. Sorry, you were, I felt like I talked no, over you talking tape? about that. Then
1: it's fine, it's fine. What's the other tape? He he constantly. Randy. It, it's like, Randy, Randy Crawford. Crawford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's 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 option B. That's the other tape. Yes. they're the only two tapes um, in the car. That was
0: very felt very 80s. There was only ever about, in my dad's car. There's only two two tapes. One was Simon and Garfunkel, and one was something else. I don't remember. But it was like honestly, that was the only choice.
1: And eventually they both mutated into Queen's Greatest Hits, obviously, for, for reasons. <laughs> yeah. But um, but no, it's, it, I, I think the, the, the other problem is that there's a trailer for something running at the moment which uses it ah. uh, on, on some channel I've been watching, and it keeps popping up. So I was actually, I felt the last two weeks I've been being followed by this bloody song. I don't know whether it's her version, to be honest. <laughs> it's just it's been sort of following me yeah. so I was getting I must admit I must have heard it about 15 times in a, in a week and, and I don't listen to music radio very often so it was just kind of, I was being stalked by Jennifer well, <laughs> you,
0: you do really know crazy. that my response to this is to play it into this episode as many times as I can I <laughs> so, know, it's so, so that you, you, you can be no stalked idea. by it for a
1: whole <laughs> like, oh, um, I can do some acting for you when I go no oh, not again <laughs> <laughs> you can use all those outtakes <laughs> it's time for Jennifer <laughs> Okay, into episode two. I'll get you Jennifer, Jennifer Bell. Yeah. There we go. Into episode
0: two, <laughs> you have the lovely little joke that I always liked in Outrageous Fortune, which is when um, Shelley Long gets to Bette Midler's apartment and she says, oh no, you've been burgled! And Bette Midler's like, no, it's oh, always yeah. like this. <laughs> yes. Which I quite liked.
1: Um, mm. 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 So... I think the, the interesting thing uh, about the episode two is that it, it makes a, b- a very big deal of contrasting their, their various different types of sex life. Oh, God, doesn't it? In too much detail.
0: <laughs> In far too much detail.
1: Um, yes.
0: <laughs> so poor Charles, Hayden Gwynn's boyfriend, wants... Yes. He wants just a normal shag, for God's sake. He wants penetrative <laughs> sex, let's say it. And she sees that as, uh, as surrendering her feminist control. And Indeed. she wants to do lots of foreplay on um, massages and all this other stuff, and he's like, "Can we just fuck?" <laughs> and the answer is no. <laughs> and it's it's kind there, of there is
1: there is a lot of there is a lot of oiling. <laughs> it's quite on. good
0: to see that she um, is in control of that, which is in contrast to the history man.
1: Although Isla Blair's yes.
0: kind of in control of um, Anthony Sharon that, yes. mm. but um, and it's good that you get to see his bottom. Because it's not just her bottom. <laughs> There's an equality of bottoms. <laughs> That's what we'd call this episode, if we had titles like that. An equality of bottoms. Brackets, Indeed. nice work. But um, <laughs> but it's kind of sending her up, though, isn't it? It's not saying... It is, very yeah. much so, yeah. Robin, I can't carry on if you look at me like that. Like what?
3: As if... It- i just failed a (sighs) viva. I thought we'd discussed all this. I thought we'd agreed that we've got to get away from the idea of the sexual act as possessive. Well, yes, I know. (sighs) I mean, it's hard to break old habits. One has to persevere.
1: Yes, of course. She is preposterous in many ways. Yes, totally.
0: You're not and, meant to uh, like her, I don't think. I think you're meant to be judging her yeah. for this and saying, "Oh, well, new feminists—that's—it's a joke. Yeah. They don't even have sex yeah. anymore," you know.
1: It could be one of those nod and a wink to the audience, where they know that the people in the audience will be thinking, "You know, much that," and uh, and maybe that's you know why they make such a big deal of it, really. But I suspect it's more to do with just getting the um, the. Uh, viewers in really i mean there's this whole uh, thing about she listens to radio 4 and oh god i don't know i mean it's 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 very broad stroke stuff you know i mean again i have <clears throat> known people of of this kind of sensibility and um yeah, it's uh it can be bloody annoying, you know? I disagree with but the fact I
0: disagree with your point that this is just to get people to watch it. I think it's just a no, byproduct I mean, of the time slot that this will have some sex in it and they can have the sex in it, but yeah. I actually think the sex <clears throat> is hugely important to the plot comparing the characters. Well, yes, absolutely. not so much here though. I mean, I think you need it because episode 3 is is mm. about the act of sex. That's what it is. Yes. It's about mm. the the brief moment that they get together. And mm. I thought that was done beautifully. I know I'm skipped ahead mm. to episode three, but the point my point mm. is why I'm saying it now is that that I think the sexuality of this serial is absolutely integral to the
1: to the plot and, mm. and Vic's awakening. Mm. It's also interesting because obviously Vic's home life is 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 not that exotic or interesting. <laughs> uh, and uh, and yet he started started to have strange fantasies. And I think it's it's the fantasy flashbacks that actually uh, although I, I appreciate that they are important in terms of his awakening um, situation. But, uh, yeah, it's it's the, the strange things at the pool that get me. Yeah, so, there's, now, so
0: I should explain this. Yeah, so there's a, a sequence when he has these lusty moments, these sexual um, feelings, then he sees the character of Robin Penrose in the form of a water nymph sort of character, Playing with other water nymphs by a pool, half naked, and <clears throat> but then that changes into her looking like Diana the Huntress, and and getting red eyes and raising a bow to, to kill him. Um, and we eventually find out. We may as well say here that he once saw a picture that I think was probably his first sexual awakening, which he saw in art uh, a picture in an art gallery, which which made him as a fantasy, yeah. And he's now putting her on that but the the problem with it is that the painting is obviously not real that they use and it's obviously a painting of Hayden Gwynne and this this has the problem of it blurs the fiction and reality elements that you think well either it's a picture of Hayden Gwynne or it isn't you know mm.
1: what did you think about that? um yeah i mean it, it it obviously comes down to this uh it's, that's the end of episode three isn't it where, where we suddenly find out and we get two contrasting school trips one in i think 1951 and one in uh, well the day this is set 1986 and he's, he goes to the gallery and he sees the same painting he saw when he was a child but he, he looks at the face and the and the face is Oh, but it looks very much like her. Maybe that's where this has all come from. I mean, it does. it is interesting because when you go back to episode one, he says he, reco- he notices her and you do think, does he notice her because, you know, of this deep sort of held memory from when he was a child? Or does he just notice her because, you know, he notices her because she's a woman outside the university? You know? Yeah, I don't know. But the, this is this is the uh, particularly the episode. I mean, this episode covers obviously the the contrasting uh, sexual lives of our two main characters. But it also, uh, I mean, she has to go to apologise, doesn't she, and explain to stop the strike at the factory and has to basically, you know, back down on her principles, if you like, to be able to to make this. But then the um, shadow scheme continues and she then has to start going off with him to other meetings doesn't she yeah and this and this start... this visit
0: for this other meeting is an important also contrast because it's very clearly almost bluntly done which is the fact that he doesn't read anything and she says so can't believe that she doesn't know who the brontes are but he does but he hasn't read mm. any of them mm. and and is this all the music you've got have you not got any mm. classical music mm. um um, but very quickly, Vic suddenly wants to start to tell her things, and he wants her approval. Mm. And mm. it's really interesting how quickly he's switched on to this, which I think you could argue that Vic's turnaround of character is too sudden. Mm. But for me, I believed it, perhaps because yeah. of Warren Clark brilliant, brilliant, being a brilliant actor. Yeah. But I believed yeah. it. But I think, I don't know whether I would have believed it in the book that this gruff... Mm. Birmingham man would have suddenly been like, "Oh yeah, I want to read poetry I, it but somehow Warren Clark makes it work.
1: yes it, it is uh, episode uh, two is is where I did write about his acting being superb there's, there's a wonderful uh, moment when he falls asleep in the office. I think that is in this episode and if he they, they've got this peephole. In his office. Yes. <laughs> so, it's, so for various reasons, so they can see what's going on, or they can see people when they're coming to be interviewed, so they can see what they're like. I mean, this is how he's actually first introduced to uh Robin, isn't it? He, he, the, the, the sales, the, the, yeah, the sales guy, um, Brian, sort of said "Oh, you can have a look at him if you like," you know, and he's and horrible. He stands on the chair. He's a horrible. Yeah, He's horrible. He's the of course he's the one who comes out of this, you know. He's he's the unchanging face of, of capitalism, yes. if you like, in this. But um but uh he actually basically falls asleep in the office so no one knows he's in the building, and it turns out that Brian is having a having an affair with uh, who is it, the secretary. I don't remember what her name was, but she was I felt that she Is it Shirley. She was the vilest yeah. character in the whole thing. Oh, the one who was prepared to pimp out her daughter. Yes.
0: Because <laughs> She was all out to protect the mm.
1: patriarchy and to
0: protect mm. her being downgraded as a woman. That's what she was mm. there for and jubilant and really strong willed about it. And honestly, it reminded mm. me of all these Brexiteering women who are oh, at mm. the moment who would like want to keep with racism and want to keep. We don't want well, mm. we aren't men to be men. And we and mm. all this. Oh, she was this vile person. I've really mm. struggled every time she's on screen. Yeah. I believe Brian
3: mentioned to you about his idea for a calendar.
0: Yes, he did. He
4: should have gone out yesterday.
3: He said you weren't keen. He's
4: putting it mildly.
3: A great chance for our Tracy.
4: A great chance to degrade herself, you mean?
3: What do you mean? New pictures
4: of your own daughter stuck up on the wall.
3: Well, I don't see the harm. What about art galleries?
4: You don't get people looking at a picture in an art gallery and saying, I wouldn't mind going through her on a Saturday night. Or taking the picture home to wank off with.
3: I'm not listening. I don't know what's got into you.
1: Interestingly enough, let's like say she's having the affair with um, with Brian. Yeah. God knows why anybody would want to, but there you go. Oh, we never understand these I things. Know. But there's a, the, the, the thing that got me about that scene where, because basically, he hears noises in the outer office, so he goes and stands on the chair and sees them at it, and at um, it. <laughs> and uh, the, the what just gets me is that when he the, 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 there's that the, the expression his, his his face is so expressive. You know, you said you get the disappointment, you get the hopes. You know, you get the whole thing without a word. It's beautifully beautifully played. And you know, if if you you know if, if you ever sort of thought of warren clark as a bit one note really really that he's excellent in this he really is
0: well it also made me think it made me actually actively want to go out and watch more warren clark stuff so i was immediately thinking Mm. of dylan Pascoe, and then i suddenly thought who was one of the main writers on dylan pasco oh it was alan plater i've got to watch that show (laughs) because he's fantastic here anyway
1: because basically uh towards the end of episode two he as far as I understand it, he starts to, she starts to try and persuade him that she, he could educate the workforce by, he and she tells him he's actually a very good teacher, and he could actually explain, uh, how you know, instead of just sort of pontificating from on high as as the businessman, if he actually went and told people what's happening and why it's happening and all this kind of thing, things w- would improve. And of course, again, the naivety, yes, the, the naivety of that. God, this is basically the beginning of Vic's downfall in many ways. Yes,
0: it totally is. But it's, it's, it's nice idealism, but it comes from her cosy world and not understanding the reality. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And I think, if anything, the last two to three years has just proved to me the reality of, of life and the fact that people don't want to be educated. And it's really depressing, but at least I'm more realistic that some people don't want to be educated to change. And they want to remain entrenched in a world that is racist and sexist, and and isn't going to well, advance. It's easier, them.
1: isn't it? Yeah, it's easier to stick. Well, you know, if, I mean, education or, or or trying to find a new way. I mean, basically, what 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 you do now is you basically say you're judging me, or you don't you don't think I'm good enough, or something. Instead of actually saying, well, maybe I, if I looked at, at some things in my life, and maybe I could improve something, I could make something better for somebody else by being nicer to them. But that takes work. And most people, you know, I mean, I, I often think that it fascinates me the number of people who go on television and have to apologise for something, you know, for whatever. But actually, you know, I know that, the you know, a large proportion of people would say the same thing in a pub and nobody would pick them up on it and no one would say there's anything wrong with it. But, um, but people are scandalised because somebody says something like them and and the actual thing is society we thought we genuinely thought society had got better and society had got better at how people dealt with other people and and live and let live and all this kind of thing and it it just feels at the moment that that's slipping away again this 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 more sense of um you know you you can't change things for the better people want it to stay bad because it empowers them? Yes. Because, cause it, it's, cause because it's what they, they feel, know. They know it. It's because yeah, yeah, exactly. they understand it. They, they, they understand it. it. They,
0: yeah. It's what they know, mm. and therefore they can control it. And people at the end of the day want to mm. control things and they don't want to be uncertain. The thing that people hate mm. the most in life is uncertainty. Um, and that's why they want to keep Britain as it was or how they think it was back in the 50s and all this oh the horrible
1: nasty sexist racist society of the 50s which is glorious (laughs) apparently Mm. yeah Mm. Yeah. anyway bit of politics there (laughs) So episode three opens with uh, him actually trying to educate his But well, You get a bit of, you get a bit of John Prescott on the radio, which is always a nice thing yeah, to point a blessing. out. But uh
0: if you if you if, if you like your Preza. Oh you do. Who but doesn't uh, like Preza? I'd be annoyed if anyone listening to this doesn't like Preza. <laughs> Go away if you didn't like Preza. You're not allowed to listen to this podcast.
1: <laughs> oh, 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 <laughs> Alright, sod off then. Um, no. Um no. Um no. And what happens is he actually tries to do a presentation to the workforce, yeah. which gets hijacked by the delightful Brian. Yeah. Who was um, arranged
0: for Marion, one of, unbeknownst to Robin Penrose, one of her students to come in and do a stripogram thing. Indeed.
2: Kissagram
1: or whatever it is. And because this is witnessed by uh, Hayden Gwynn, uh, Robin... Uh, she she basically says you're not doing a kissogram stripogram thing, and she and she wheels him away, uh, wheels her away, I should say, and uh, and and basically the meeting becomes a farce, basically, which is a bit mm, massive shame because actually, again, it's one of those things. Instead of just jeering or mocking or whatever, or, or you've, they've taken away our fun because we don't get the strip striptease, and you don't, nobody learns anything in that. In the end, n- despite all the efforts that's been. It to make things better nobody learns a bloody thing in that in that scene and it just annoys the hell out of me yeah.
0: I thought it was a really yeah. nice contrast um, or it put me in mind of the scene in the History Man in episode 4 when they have the big meeting in which they're, they're all mm. protesting about Mr Mangle coming and, yeah. and it's all hijacked by the fact that um, he falls off the table and all that stuff, yeah. it's just a similar farcical no one learns anything scenario I mean, they don't even learn what happened to Mangle in the meeting, that he's dead, which is
1: what he gets up to say. <laughs> so it's kind of like, it's very similar. Uh, this all leads off to the fact that um, Robin thinks that uh, the uh, Shadow Scheme is pretty much over, uh, but because there's only one more week of it, and but he's got to go to Dusseldorf next Dusseldorf. week. <clears throat> yep. Dusseldorf! Yeah. Dusseldorf! I think that I believe that's a a, a town in Germany. Yeah, I see. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, so so they have to go. Yes, so so he basically says you should come with. In that, oh, I'm a fawning, big-eyed puppy kind of. Oh, thing I know. He's, he's so adorable. But you do want to hit and, him a bit. Uh, <laughs> and so, despite all this, you know. Yeah, and because cause before before this happens, we get. Uh, Hayden, Gwyn's brother, turning up with his, um, his city girlfriend. And her
0: city slicker ways. So we met her in the previous episode, and she's very much a condemnation of the city. She represents everything that David Lodge clearly hates about that world and the fact that you don't need education, and this person, Debbie, is the personification of all that is wrong with the world in his eyes. But at least she's working. She's making... Well, it's not an honest living, but you know what I mean. But Charles... Hayden's boyfriend, Robin's boyfriend, it's hard isn't it, um, She, he all but, all but licks her up the legs when he first meets <laughs> her. And
1: basically goes off and shags her. Even <laughs> and
0: eventually shags him, you know that shag's coming. And, yeah, and solid, part of the point of that is I think...
1: Probably because it doesn't involve quite so much oil. Exactly!
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> Debbie doesn't mind penetrative sex. <laughs> Yay. And so again, it's kind of like oh, but it's it's the honesty of sex and what a man like Charles wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, I de- I don't want to say what every man wants because that's too much of a sweeping statement. But it's it, Debbie's very obvious, and the attraction's very obvious, and the fact mm-hmm. you know I don't know. It's mm-hmm. Charles is yeah. a uh, it's, he's a nasty guy, though, isn't he? Well,
3: what did you think of Debbie?
0: Rather intriguing.
3: Intriguing. Also childlike in many ways, but handling those vast amounts of money, Mummy will consider Debbie what she calls common. If Basil ever dares to take her home. You
4: rather gave that impression yourself. Me? You patronised her terribly.
3: Oh rubbish! You may not think so, but you did.
1: Yeah, these these are ultimately the games people play, and and you know he is is a relationship cheat, and it basically it does damage. Robin so so much so that she thinks sod it and does get on the plane to Germany after all hence the rest of the story yeah. and I want to say about, we don't
0: do dress for success in this podcast but I must just compliment Robin Penrose on her outfit for the plane in which she looks a million dollars and she looks like she stepped off off a set of dynasty having just had a cat fight with Alexis Crystal and whatever <laughs> Stephanie Beecham's character was called, Sable that's where, that's where the work was <laughs> Yeah, and she does look amazing, but it's kind of like, come on, it's just a business trip. It's just a bit much. But then, anyway, the business trip. Mm. We have the most wonderful, fun sequence in which she, um, Robin, pretends to be a Brummie lass. Yes. His PA, and in order to pull the wool wool, over the eyes of these Germans who think he's a thick idiot.
1: German con men. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Basically, we're trying to con him into buying the wrong machine. (laughs) Yeah. But she is brilliant. She has, I mean, you can tell that Hayden Gwynn's having great fun doing this this brummy accent. Let's play a bit of that. Put it on the yeah, we'll...
1: Although there's always this this problem when when posh folk put on the <laughs>
0: yeah, it's, it's not it's not spot on, is it? Anyway, here's here's
1: a bit. No, it's not like that. It's just you feel is, is it is it being patronized? Oh, yeah, of but, course. You know, here's a bit like here's I, a bit and... of it anyway. Yes, go on. <laughs> can I say here's a bit of it. <laughs>
4: What's your impression of Düsseldorf, then,
3: huh? Well, you wouldn't think you were in a factory town, would you? Everything so clean and modern. I was saying to Vic in the car, actually, Mr. Winkle, Düsseldorf, is really so much nicer than I was expecting. Wasn't I, Vic? Uh,
4: yeah. I'm very glad to hear that, Miss Penrose. Uh, my name is Winkler, by the way. <laughs> well, here we have the machines.
3: Ooh, they're a nice colour, aren't they?
1: And it is a great scene. It is a great scene. Yeah, there's, a, I mean, there's a whole thing, of course, when they have this this dinner and the German the, uh, Warren goes off to the lav, and um, and they all they, they, they scheme and plot in German, assuming she's an ignorant, brummie, yeah, uh, secretary type, and she understands every word, and so is able, by uh, by fair means or foul to basically point out that they're trying to con him.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So he actually he actually wins this one. Warren wins this one and it's all down to to Robin. Although Robin plays a dangerous game
0: because right at the end mm. of the meeting when the he gets the deal that he wants, she suddenly mm. starts talking in her proper accent again, a real voice yes. and that's the danger of like subterfuge and sabotage, and people saying, "Well, no, because you've conned us back in the bargain." And I just think it's a bit of a yeah. she plays a bit of a dangerous game there, and I'm not confident. Oh yes, she you've got to
1: live the role, darling. You've got to live the role. <laughs> yes, you can't just give it up in a minute. You've got what you want. No, you've exactly. Carry on being, carry on being brummie all the way to the plane. I think Alexis Carrington would
0: have carried on being brummie all the way to the plane to <laughs> to Moldavia or whether she was headed, wherever she was headed next. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
3: To stop, do you? Oh, yes, I do. When I hear the thump, thump, thump that tells me I've driven over something hard and empty like your
1: head. But this course then plays into the the standard uh, business fantasy of the having a bit of the other while you're away on a business Before trip. Before we get to, to that, I
0: just wanted to say yes, that sir, I okay. loved the fact that Robin's character really admired Vic's business acumen. And she mm. really was like, "Oh yeah, this guy does understand stuff, and I really like that he mm. understands this stuff. And maybe there's something in this industry well, crap after
1: well, all. They, they are they are getting getting persuaded at each other's strengths, aren't they? I mean, this again has this has to be there to explain, you know, their uh, respect for each other, at least, the, however short term it may be. But yes,
0: yeah. So then you get this very much, yeah, feeling like a fantasy se- sequence that many men have of of going mm. off on, bus- on business and getting his leg over. But it's not that, mm. because he doesn't want to just get his leg over. He's actually properly looking, not only cool. for sex, but he's looking for love, isn't he? Mm. And it's beautifully done. And it's so believable, mm. I feel, even though it's heightened and melodramatic. I feel that connection that they have in that moment really mm. is beautifully played by the pair of them. And and it, But it's also has an authenticity because like when he finally gets to the bedroom he is wearing a, a pair of grotty old saggy underpants <laughs> and she yeah. is she is very alluring in those scenes and she looks great and they've really done her up well, well. The,
1: the, the euro strip tease is a phenomenal scene which you should also play in because it's it, it's all about the various international labels on everything she's wearing yes, that are not made in England yes
0: and is she betraying <laughs> England therefore yeah
3: Oh, Made in Italy. Hail the patriotic test again. Fabriqué en France. Dear, oh dear. Well, aren't you going to get undressed too? Yeah. Espana, Olé! Christian Dior, encore la France. Now let me see. These should be British anyway. Yes. I always buy my knickers from Marks and Spencers.
1: <laughs> you're beautiful.
3: My, what a knobstick.
1: <laughs> Which of course has been referenced in a previous episode when she's doing her lecturing. But, <laughs> my, what a knobstick. Yes. <laughs> there, there, there should be t-shirts. I love the line
0: when she said, Are you worried that you're going to be impotent?
1: And he said, I don't think that will be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> And, of course, you also get a bit of Clark bum there as well.
0: Yeah, it's not a bad bum. It's not the best, but <laughs> considering the underpants, I was I was worried about far worse, I have to say.
1: <laughs> equal opportunities bum. <laughs>
0: yes, equal opportunity bums. We've already said that's the subtitle of this episode.
1: Absolutely, but we're like I think it, we're two one up now for the chat. <laughs>
0: and then you have her trying to go on the massage route again. She says,
3: You could just give me a massage, if you like. No.
0: <laughs> I want to make love.
3: Well, massage is a non phallic way of making love.
1: I'm a
4: phallic sort of bloke.
1: Which again references right back to her in the phallic chimneys when she's doing her lecture. Because yes. he, he
0: personifies the, the factory phallus characters persona I, man <laughs> thing.
1: <laughs> yes. It's... You can't really imagine anyone else playing it, actually. You no, totally <laughs> not.
0: But I have to say that we were howling watching this, and not in a bad way. Mm. We adored mm. episode three. We just sat there mm. thinking, this is so good. And finally, we're getting to something. And mm. we had the falling away like you did in episode four as well. It doesn't work quite so well. Mm. But after the first mm. two, which felt slightly uncomfortable and a bit of a mishmash, I think in, in episode three, yes. it really sort of hits its stride. It hits its yeah, stride. yeah, totally.
1: Yeah, it does. Yeah. In the in the end, uh, obviously they have their night of bash, you know, uh-huh. and uh, she she flits off back to Ingreland.
0: When you can understand why though, because he's immediately saying, "I love you." We're in love, yeah. Just, and it's so mm. sweet what? because you just think this is the first proper connection he's had with a woman that's mm. beyond when he was a kid and he didn't really understand what was going on with Marjorie as our mm. expectation. That's how we feel about that backstory. Mm. And he's got this discourse yeah. of romantic love that he wants to to experience. But she is just like, it reminded me of um, what's she called? Enlightenment in For to Doomsday, sorry, another obligatory okay. reference, where she describes love because Monarch asks her, What is love? And she says, Oh, it's the exchange of two fantasies. And yeah. it reminded me of how Robin
1: Penrose looked at love. She was like, Oh, it's not real. There's no such thing. Mm. Mm. Um, well, there's a there's a there's a line, isn't there, in the final episode where someone says you've never had your heart broken or something, and it's possibly because she just doesn't believe in that yes, of thing. It's, it's it's a physical display. not she's too erudite to and anymore. too intellectual
0: mm. to believe that love exists, mm. and that mm. she's being mocked for that by the narrative. Mm.
1: But you also and indeed by possibly by the book she studies as well. Yes. I, mean, I, I imagine that the lectures were very much uh, this is all nonsense. You know, but hey. so is it anti-feminist? Therefore, Ooh. you
0: know, there's an element where I feel it arguably I'm, is.
1: It's uh, it. Uh, I, I suspect that there's certainly a, a bit a bit of piss being taken, shall yeah. we say, um, about about the you know where you know so someone's basically saying, oh, why don't you just get on with it? But I don't know. I don't. Know. It's it's very difficult. There's a there is a fascinating thing because obviously the fallout of this is that uh, she goes home. Yeah, Warren then uh i keep vic i keep him. doing that all the time and <laughs> yeah. in the <laughs> they're, inter- they're, they're interchangeable darling they're actors <laughs> no. Um, no they um and he he comes to her house and has misread the entire situation as you know what next and everything. and she's not thinking about what next and everything like that and uh we we again i i wondered i, I wrote the question mark because she's she meditates to to shut him up and and is this the anger of the uneducated? I ask myself. Question mark. But the there's a there's a wonderful moment where she basically looks at him with utter contempt, with like eyed madness, mm. and he just says, "You're beautiful when you're angry." <laughs> I know. A, and you're thinking there is there is like the the, the shot before is anything but beautiful. I know. But I suppose the the blinkers, the the tinted spectacle. Yeah, he's, he's hook line and sinker. He's, he's but, besotted. Yeah. This is a this is a man besotted. And and it's so she basically tells him to. Sort and It's really
0: off. <laughs> hard not to be sympathetic and empathetic to him, and you really root for him. I don't think you really. Yeah. How can how
1: can something for... be meaningless when to him it means everything? yes, yes. exactly.
0: But you don't. You don't root for the relationship because you think well, it can't possibly work. you realize that, but there's something about human mm. nature where you compassionately want him to have this in some way
1: for mm. a bit mm. but um yeah, so then you and and yet and yet you also think he's because he's you know whilst it's not a big role in the in the series you know his his wife marjorie is is actually she loves him she absolutely you know? does, and I think. And she adores yeah. him, and 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 you know she believes him in him in him totally, and it's you know you know that's there as well, so you also feel guilty for liking the fact that they've got together, you know, yes. and and you know and indeed you know people I'm sure people at home going what a cow, you know, <laughs> you know they were really going why you know why is she just being so horrible? But of course this is this is you know. Yeah, because if this if it's, cause if has
0: to be loved, and it's denying Robin the right to have sex that's mm. no strings, and that when she wants yes. it, which women should be allowed to have, because for God's sake, men have had that for centuries. And mm. I think, well, not all, obviously, but I think it's it's interesting that, yeah, I think mm. the narrative is, and it pushed me against Robin and thinking, oh, she is a bit of a cow, mm. but the reality is, mm. well, no, can't she just have this? But I think the reason Mm. why perhaps you don't accept it is because when they do have that romantic time in in Dusseldorf, it's not just sex. And you feel like there is a connection Mm. and that they are starting Mm. to fall for each other in a little way. So you Mm. feel like she's shutting down on that. Mm. And is she shutting down on that because she's got this intellectual conception of love? Or is it because she, Mm. you know what I mean? Is she denying her feelings?
1: Oh, yeah but i think there's also there's a reversal in there that's that's the interesting thing about it uh, because the cliche is the businessman goes away on a business trip has it away with some one night stand and then forgets about it and goes home yes you know and so but this is actually playing against that totally. it's, it's, it's almost like a reversal she, you know she's the one who's who's had her one night stand and and it means nothing to her but he is now absolutely obsessing on this yeah and and it, it, you know, it, again, if he goes, you know, he goes home and he, he could destroy his life and, you know, the, the life he has, which is a very, you know, very good life, you know. Um, yes, but it's also so it,
0: hideous. It, I mean, there's that scene yes, where he I comes mean, back yeah, home but, and there's the I mean kid is, playing the guitar. It, it's safe. And, yeah, OK. You know yeah, what I mean? And she's yeah. doing a sunbed thing and it's just like, oh, yeah. you feel for me. You think, oh, this is so cloying and so claustrophobic yeah. and it keeps him in his box. And he's, he's all ready also, to
1: fly and do something different. <laughs> what? But it also reminds me that we've not talked about the, the scene with the, the family meal.
0: Oh, uh, with the grandfather, and um, George A. Cooper, with the, the caretaker from Grange Hill. George yeah, A.
1: Cooper yeah. is the massively racist granddad. Yes.
3: <laughs> Can I pass you the vinaigrette? It's
0: fully funny sort of taste. It's
4: like candle grease. <laughs> they cost £5 pounds each, granddad. £5? Take no notice, dad. He's having you at it. I wouldn't give you 5p for them, to be honest.
3: They taste much nicer with vinaigrette, Mr Wilcox. Won't you try some?
1: Oh, no, thanks, love, no. Olive oil don't agree with me. It gives you the squits, does it, Grinder? Gary! Oh, it does, love. Like ah. We used to call on the back door trots when I was a lad. <laughs> That's because if you didn't get to the Yes, yes we
4: know
0: why, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's really mm. nice because she... Robin Penrose accepts the situation, and she's not offended by it. She she kind of gets. Yes. She's given the reality of understanding that this is how families are. It's not something she wants, yes. but she's accepting no. of it. And it's it's really funny.
1: And he's embarrassed by his family yeah. on that occasion. Yeah, and I
0: also probably. wanted to point out this is a moment where there's. So uh, when I say when I
1: say when when I say his home life was nice, I suddenly remembered. Oh yeah, there was the thing with the granddad.
0: <laughs> but I also wanted to point out this is one of those scenes in drama where you actually have avocados being eaten before all avocados were smashed avocados <laughs> yes.
1: yes and yes and and it was seen as exotic yes. yes
0: this is kind of moving on from um from half a grapefruit with a cherry on top
1: <laughs> <laughs> is what... oh yes we've moved on yes, this is yes, what we
0: I mean. always used to have in the late 70s early 80s oh my god that was the starter
1: mm.
0: <laughs> was that just our family or did you have that as well Half oh, a grapefruit oh, with God, the we cherry
1: on top. Oh, we, um, yes, we did do the cherry and, yeah, uh, on the on the grapefruit. We did we did the cherry on the grapefruit. Oh, I've yes. forgotten all about that. Uh, <laughs> oh, funny. It, it it is kind of it's it's like the 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 um what's the is it the potato with the cocktail sticks and the cheese and the pineapple. Cheese
0: and pineapple, yeah.
1: Cheese and pineapple hedgehog. Yes, they, on on foil.
0: You have to have it on foil. You know, it's not absolutely no.
1: But I do remember my mother's my mother's buff, Christmas buffet, <laughs> well, or box, Boxing Day buffet. Oh so, yes, that would have been that would have been one of the staples.
0: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, zooming back into yes. episode three. So at the end of episode three, well, so, you've got
1: well, there's a there's a jump cut in the middle, and we get a one month later caption. Oh, we, we do. Uh, and basically so this is a month after all this has happened and he's been furiously writing letters or feverishly writing letters that are all being ignored because she's actually gone away into retreat (laughs) or visiting a mum. And uh, the the other thing about the second part of of this episode is we get a near miss with the sunbed because his wife's actually hired the sunbed to top up a tan or whatever. Uh, so we so we start to see how invasive this whole sunbed business is becoming. And at the point, this at that point in the drama, was I was like, "What the heck is this about?" They keep drawing
0: attention <laughs> yeah. to it. There's so many sunbed vans driving about. What is going mm. on? And it, I felt that that mm. was, it wasn't sign, but it was it was obvious, but it wasn't signposted enough that you realised it was actually part of the drama enough. I just honestly, I yes. just felt it was a bit odd. It
1: took me out of it. Hmm but but you know obviously it, it does at least pay off in the end i mean maybe if you watched if it was as a as a film maybe it would you know it actually the problem is it it feels inconsequential and then it becomes the most important thing yes because it spells his the end his of
0: futures. his jobs. Yeah. yeah yeah
1: yes but uh but but then again maybe that's how these things sneak up on all of us you know and we we, we they go unnoticed
0: in our like everyday life
1: yeah yeah you know. yeah uh and uh and also we get you know he's he's You've got his son who's trying to make a living as a musician and, and he won't invest in his son to give him the 250 quid to to get his demo tape done and all this kind of thing. We get a, another flashback to the Angry Nymphs. Yeah, and, so we should talk about this. And then we get the scene at the art gallery. Sorry, yes.
0: Yeah, so I wanted to talk about when he has his he slips into reverie and he's chased naked by dogs through the factory. So <laughs> you suddenly have this situation where this clearly is metaphorical and it's pointing out that he is now being attacked in his, in his world. Cause you would mm. think you'd have this naked fear in the university setting and he'd be running around mm. the university of rummage in his, in mm. the altogether being chased by dogs or maybe laughing students or university types, mm. but he's in his own factory. So the point is he's being bitten on the bum literally for
2: mm. daring
0: to, leave that world behind and to experience an intellectual awakening and love and all that stuff. Mm. And he's feeling that his own world is, is, is saying, no, you can't do this. You can't leave us here. Mm. And you're from the dirt, mate, you know? Mm. And I think that's quite nicely done.
1: It's, it's sort of, it, 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 uh, harks back to the, um, there's a scene again after, after the family dinner. We obviously seem to have managed to ignore the family dinner completely and it, it suddenly struck me how important it was. But they, they go for a stroll and they end up on the counter. Oh, yes, that's an important and sequence, he see, yeah. And, he, and he, sees, he sees this world that she works in and he just can't equate it, you know, all the, the pleasantness of it with his own life at all. Yeah, Let's just play a you bit know? of that scene in because it was a pivotal scene.
4: Why should my workers pay taxes to keep these middle-class youths in the style to which they become accustomed?
3: Well, I agree, our intake is too middle-class. What we need to do is motivate more working-class kids to go to university and then provide more places.
4: And more landscape halls of residence with uh, artificial lakes and ducks on them.
3: Yes, why not? they enhance the environment. Universities are the cathedrals of the modern age. No, really. The problem is ordinary people don't know what they're about. I mean, look at a campus. It's like a graveyard at weekends and vacations. But It should be swarming with local people doing part-time courses, or going to the library and the sports center, going to lectures and concerts. Yeah, well,
4: it's a nice idea, but it wouldn't be long before you had graffiti all over the walls and the and burners nicked and the toilets vandalized.
3: I don't believe that. I have more faith in people.
4: Did you notice the uh, bollard smashed up as we came along? Something's happening to this country.
3: Yes, it's called unemployment. It's created an underclass that takes out its resentment and vandalism.
0: Well, we'll see. Yeah, so the contrast of those two worlds and the fact that the way he points out to her that one supports the other and that you couldn't have the university world without the industry world and... I think he knew oh. more about that connection than she did, even though that she's the intellectual, which mm. is interesting.
1: Mm. But there's also this idea that if you let everybody in, they would spoil it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a very interesting and telling... Maybe, that, maybe that's coming from the writer, but it's interesting and telling, I find that. Because actually, weirdly, in a big dream sequence towards the end of episode four, yeah. when the two worlds all collide and all, oh, the, so and all the characters and and you start to think what the hell is happening here. Yeah, well let's come back to that you know, because I do not understand that. Yeah, the the end of episode 3 is where we get the scene at the art gallery. Yeah. where we start to see his connection with the Diana painting yeah. and and all this kind of thing. And 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 that's really you know this is what starts to unlock what it is that maybe is motivating Warren uh, Vick's sort of motiva- motivation yeah. what what he sees in in uh, and this brings us through to the final episode.
0: Yeah. So, as I said, we have watched the first three episodes and we were really, mm. really enjoying it. So I'm intrigued by the fact that you had to leave it after episode three. Why was that? Why did you? Have I a was gap? just
1: circumstances. Oh, okay. But I also well, I, no, things kept cropping up to stop me watching. Okay. I, I, I must admit, I've watched this in about eight parts because for some reason. I mean, there's, there's only four hours, and you sit down, and every single time something <laughs> cropped up halfway through the episode. It's just the nature of these oh, things okay. sometimes. I so thought I thought it might uh, because
0: you didn't enjoy episode three, but
1: it's not that. No, I ju- I was just thinking I don't know whether I'm going to like the way this plays out, or whether yeah. it's just going to annoy me, and so I kept putting it off. So it was only where are we? It was only a couple of days ago when I sort of put episode four in, and and. Again, it 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 feels very different in style to the the three episodes that preceded it to me.
0: Yeah, in what it, ways? In what ways? Felt,
1: well, it I I genuinely feel it. It became in many ways a farce. Yeah. If that's not too strong, it, there was more comedy, but also more coincidence, more uh, literary conceits, Absolutely. more it <laughs> Absolutely. this sense of. Uh, I, 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 the word fairy tale, yeah, is, and I've written, I've written down here, um, it's a love story, it's a twonk story, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a bit of both. It's, it's a, it's, 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 it's either it's like, it's like a lots of idiocy or, or it is basically a, a love, a reverse love story. But the love story is actually between Vic and his wife, weirdly.
0: Yeah, and, and she's suddenly but, suddenly less frumpy towards the end.
1: Yeah. Yes, which again I suppose is you know people making the effort because she's been on the sunbed. Don't get the magic. Um, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> you know we should stop. But we should also go to the start of episode four, I think, before we crash too far onto the end. Okay. But sorry, were you going to say something else then?
1: No, just in the sense that it it, it it's also one of the themes of the, of the last episode. I think is about reversal of fortune. Yeah. And change of circumstances. Yeah. And how. People can go to a very dark place, and then everything can change. I mean, we know in real in the real world, it usually doesn't work like that. Yeah. But but part, seems to be one of the themes is that the the you know the, the magic money fairy does actually solve a lot of their problems. At the the magic money tree yeah. does actually solve a lot of their problems at the end of the episode. And uh, again, it, okay, that that is a literary conceit. And again, it's possibly it's one of these things I keep kind of harping back to is that maybe certain things work better. On the page, maybe you're more forgiving. On the page, in in the, in the t- in the TV drama, it, it feels very forced to me. But we'll we'll get to that when, yeah. when as we go through the yeah. episode.
0: Have you got your bell to hand? Oh, okay. Go on. Daphne Neville. <laughs> Daphne Neville. To Daphne hence, Neville. Who is um, Sophie Neville? Sophie Neville's mother. So Sophie Neville right. was Titty and Swallows and Amazons, and I ended up um, okay. helping her with her book. I helped get yes. it up to a standard I felt it was more publishable. Um, so the making yeah. of Swallows and Amazons, which I um, I kind of co-wrote, but I didn't get a writing credit, which was maybe stupid mm-hmm. of me, I don't know. But anyway, her mother um, Do you get her with thanks? Do you get, I do you get can't remember. Um, but I got to know Sophie quite well, and she was actually the production mm-hmm. assistant on Vengeance on Varos, weirdly. Um, okay. Anyway, she, um, her mother had had loads of bit parts over the years and loads of t v she's a nun in Tenko, and <laughs> she's various different things, but um Daphne also came to the Tenko reunion we had when I wrote that book and we had the big cast okay. reunion and um and it was this really weird situation um that that they were they had only been extras in it, but because I knew them at the time, they came along as well so anyway, yeah, Sophie had been an extra as well playing a gaunt prisoner of war anyway. <laughs> So Daphne Neville, anyway, was in a, in a role where she actually had lines, which is unusual. Okay. <laughs> At this terrible university party, oh.
3: And <laughs> uh, My last chapter is a sort of manifesto for a feminist poetics of fiction. That is
4: interesting. Do you have a publisher for your book in America? Not yet. I'm a reader for Euphoria University Press. I'd really like to read your book.
3: It's very kind of you. I'd certainly value another opinion.
4: Can you drop a manuscript here before 8.30 tomorrow morning? I'm catching the 9.45 shuttle to Heathrow.
3: Okay, fine.
4: Of course, I may not like it, but you look like a smart girl to me. Person. Person! Sorry.
3: you really mustn't monopolize Dr. Penrose. Well, actually, I was just about to go. Oh, so soon? Yes, work to do. Thanks for a lovely party. (laughs) Uh, nice meeting you. I'll see you tomorrow, then. Good. now
0: you can monopolize me for a while awful it's very yeah, different to the well,
1: university party in um, history man there isn't it oh very absolutely I mean, uh, I mean we've got zap and swallow we actually get to see both of yeah. them now. and uh, I was just thinking uh, when they were trying to come up with new ideas yeah so that was a university meeting which happens about the same yeah. time, doesn't yeah. it? Or in the episode, and and it's this whole where they're trying to find new ways of making money, and it basically it f- you fundamentally start to realise that the actual university and the actual business are pretty, the industry are pretty much the same thing, yeah, really, and they're all basically trying to get a few quid in their pockets, and of course, you, I mean, we question now whether, I mean, because that's what they are now. I mean, universities are just horrible, cutthroat businesses like everything else, but. But uh, back then, there was still a certain amount of idealism, you know.
0: Yes, and do we want this? And I think David Lodge, in mm. his interview that I listened to him talking about this book, he was saying that he wanted to make those points, uh, but what he felt mm. like was that universities were too slow to realise that they needed to, mm. to to take these matters more seriously, because, yeah. because I was going to say, Kundingfuts. <laughs> 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 kunding
1: because Futs Because of kunding <laughs> Kunjig Futs. <laughs> We're not
2: gonna anyway,
1: <laughs> But in the process of this, Mr Mr Zap Yes or Professor Zap if we if we like. Uh, Professor Zap, Professor, Professor Zap. Zap. Ooh, ooh,
0: ooh, super space, space detective
1: <laughs> Oh no Sorry. Oh there we you go there, don't you? You go there. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, can I say about Aporia? So yes. We have... Oh, I, I I wrote it down as she spelt it out for me, which was very kind yeah. of her. Bless her. <laughs> so um, we have this
0: re- another reversal. We've talked a lot about reversals. So the shadow mm. scheme gets reversed, and mm. because he was he's desperate to be with Robin, so he yes. decides to suggest reversal of the shadowing scheme so he can spend time at the university, and she's mm. incredibly reluctant. Is to put it mildly, she's indeed furiously reluctant, and he. Just because of the power of her head of department, I think she gets, he gets his way and he sits in. And...
1: Well, it's like, it's like having your stalker suddenly. Yes! You're being contractually obliged yes! to, to work with your stalker. Exactly. <laughs> and you have this uncomfortable
0: scene in which he's desperately trying to learn in one of her tutorials. Oh, yeah. And the tutorial is so patronising and it's so... You see what a position of power she has in that room and also how mm. arrogant she is. She doesn't mm. come well out of that, and she describes what a neporia is. And he makes mm. this point, which is kind of a very practical point about whether it's a train or a tram in this sequence oh, in from the Tennyson, poem, yes. Yeah, And mm. she just they all laugh at him just because he's who he is, not because mm. his point is kind of, is it relevant, his point?
3: This is what Tennyson himself said. When I went by the first train from Liverpool to Manchester, I thought that the wheels ran in a groove. It was a black night, and there was such a vast crowd round the train at the station that we couldn't see the wheels. Then I made this line.
4: (laughs) He didn't make it very well then, did he?
3: So what's the answer? Is it a train or a tram? What do you two think? Well, if Tennyson thought he was describing a train, then it's a train, I suppose.
0: Not necessarily. Uh, that's the intentional fallacy.
3: Well, it's uh, a kind of aporia. A what? An aporia. A-P-O-R-I-A. Um, uh, a figure of undecidable ambiguity or irresolvable contradiction. It derives from a, a Greek word that means a, a path that gives out, leaving you stranded. You meant it's a tough line? On the contrary, I think it's the best line in a generally deplorable poem. Carry on, Marion.
1: Uh, and I think he's, they're basically saying that if he if he had earned his place at this university, that's the kind of stupid question a not very good student would have asked. But actually, it's the sort of question that all the other students are probably thinking as well, but they're too too intimidated yes. to, actually, to actually sort of mention, you know. And so, and actually, again, it, interestingly enough, it hijacks her seminar. Yes, it totally does. You know, uh, in the way that the stripper hijacked his meeting at the factory. Oh, brilliant, brilliant but, contrast. But, yes, um, but because um, so, he just butts in, doesn't it? But she was, of course, butting in in their meeting at the factory. So again, it all, it all is is its reversal, you know. Yeah. But, but anyway, you know, after, after as the seminar breaks up and because she's so hostile, <laughs> yeah. with him and it, it it turns out that uh, you know it, that he wants to he wants to borrow these books, you know, and uh, and he has changed and he is reading books and and he's got rid of the pinups at the factory, yes. you know, uh, which basically leads to this horrible moment where he gets down on his <laughs> knees. <laughs> And it's all witnessed by one of the. Students, and then they pretend to suddenly be looking for something on the floor, <laughs> looking for something else. Yes. Oh, is, where's my contact lens? Oh dear. Now I don't. Did I leave it on? Now the I desk? don't know whether
0: this is true, but I have a feeling that the scene is part of North and South as well, where Richard Armitage hmm. like debases, debases himself. I haven't read North and South. I've only hmm. seen the TV series. Sorry hmm. if that makes me a luddite. Not a luddite. What's the word? <laughs> uh, uh, Philistine. Philistine. <laughs> a luddite.
1: No, it doesn't make you a philistine at all. <laughs> but um, I'm fairly these sure these are the gateways to literature. I'm fairly a sure lot he people. most quite, people have seen the film.
0: I'm fairly sure he becomes quite pleading to
1: her, and
0: and um,
1: you know, it's yeah. a bit
0: unfeel, uh, a bit, uh.
1: but anyway, yes. There's a lot of that in Victorian fiction, though, isn't it? Which, of course, is the point, I suppose. But there's a lot. All I suspect it is. It, there's there's a, there's a terrible, terrible amount of of. Of feckless men who 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 basically want nothing more than to be married to somebody who doesn't want to be married to them, but they rich after, but they haven't got a fortune and all this yes, kind yes, of... indeed, yeah, and of course, in the end, this is what starts to un- unfold in the course of this episode. We start to live in a Victorian fantasy, uh, literary romance yeah. about industry, which is starts to happen, yeah, because he falls upon hard times. Don't forget. Yeah. Of course he does,
0: um, and so on. So there's a sequence which is read out, which I didn't realise the importance at the time, but um, mm. it's in Marion's essay, um, mm. and I think I think it's in Marion's essay. I don't know whether it's this, but anyway, this this bit which is mm. all the Victorian novelists could offer as a solution to the problems of industrial capitalism were a legacy, a marriage, emigration, or death, mm-hmm. and that is exactly summarising the last portion of the fourth episode and it Windy. it wasn't until i went to bed that night that i realized that this was what it was <laughs> and mm. the point was you've got the legacy which is the bequest from australia her distant uncle mm. you've got the mm. marriage which she gets suddenly gets a marriage proposal from charles emigration mm-hmm. she gets the job offer from zap mm. and then you got left with death
1: so death nobody dies so death
0: must be her choosing to stay
1: at the, the fa- rummage, <laughs> I think. Well, it could be the fact. It could be the death of the factory. It could be the death of the business. Mm, so, I don't know. Um, I think it's. I think want? it's.
0: I think it's the the fact that she's consigned herself to the, live a lesser of a life at, at, at rummage. Yeah.
1: Interesting. Yeah. There's a lovely quote. I, I did write it down, and it says, "Most of us uh, spend most of the time. So most of us, most of the time, lead very blinkered lives." Is the thing she's learned. Yes. You know. But that immediately takes us to Vic having to be summoned to this meeting, and I can't help it. But when he said, "We're selling Pringles," <laughs> once you pop, you can't stop. <laughs> it's well, it's always oh, we 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 changed what we're doing at the factory. Yes. No, no, it's just it's just one of those lines that unfortunately yeah, know. time has overtaken. Fact, you really. know. We're selling Pringles. Yeah. But that's just, just my terrible sense of humour. But um, all the things that Vic has done to try and improve the workers' lives are now regarded by his former, well, MD? I don't yeah, know. The bloke is, who owns, yeah. the bloke who owns their company yeah. as eccentric. And he, you know, it's so ex- taking down the pinnets. So
0: eccentric that he actually asked
1: Vic, Are you a born again
0: Christian? <laughs> born again, I no, know. No. I love that. It's fabulous. It's fabulous.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: So he's sacked very unceremoniously in a really cutthroat way. He's like, "Oh well, you can get your stuff, you can yeah. have your car, but you're not getting anything else. Bye." Yeah, yeah.
1: You, you can keep, you, you can keep your car. Yeah. And of course, this is this is where the, the sort of the whole ethics of the whole 1980s ethos, yeah. ethos of business and comes into play. Really, yeah. you know, and it, and it is quite terrible. But of course, he goes home, and his wife is lovely. Yeah, I
0: believe in you. I'll help. I'll be your unpaid secretary. Yeah, all that. Mm.
3: I thought I'd lost you. What? I thought there was another woman. That Robin Penrose.
4: Don't be daft.
1: Make us that cup of tea. And of course, there's this... uh, Within the plot, there's been this suggestion that he has got this idea, but... He never know, really knew how to implement it. I mean, we all we all we all get that occasionally, but um, uh, the spectrometer. You know, he could, he could yes. the spectrometer idea that he his mate had, but it, <laughs> but, they, but you know, you know, and of course you also start to get that again. This is a very. I mean, there's a, there's a there's a reference about something. was it? What was it that was made in Taiwan? I can't remember. I don't know. There was something that was. They oh I think oh the the sunbeds that's right because he then he he meets with the evil, evil Brian, Brian in his office and because when he gets back to the factory having been given the push but he in, in his personalised jaggy you know he turns up back at the factory to clear his desk and has a meeting with the with the evil Brian yeah. who is is played rather wonderfully I mean John Forgem is one of those people who turns up in all sorts of things mm. and you're never quite sure who no he is, indeed which is why you believe the character. But, I think. Um, yeah but he's but he's so sinister and so unpleasant in that because he's seen the future and and he basically invested and so did david calder in this bloody sunbed yes. business <laughs> yeah and uh yeah he saw but I think that was the thing his his line is, the sunbeds are made in taiwan yeah you know and it's just ghastly ghastly ethics of the 1980s and look after yeah. your own and you know, sell out everything, you have ever old dear, but, you know, make sure that you've got your own little business. And oh, yeah. that's just horrible.
0: And then you have Charles appearing on the scene who proposes marriage to Robin so she, so that she can be a kept... Well, he's
1: come back rich. So she can he's become a rich. kept woman. I went into the country.
0: Yeah. yeah, and he's becoming yeah. a merchant banker, which... Is like is is he betraying his intellectualism or is he just being clued up about the eighties and capitalism? And
1: you're not maybe maybe he's just being Cockney rhyming slang. Or maybe it's
0: just because he's now allowed penetrative sex. But um, but he's yeah. he would be, but he would be giving that up because
1: Robin's not going to let him in.
0: He'd be back. He <laughs> yes, would
1: just be all oils and massages again. <laughs> and and she could sit at home and write a silly little book.
0: Yes, exactly. They, they, well, they he earns the, the real their money. Comfortable life. Yeah. Like, he earns a real so. This
1: dismissive.
0: So, so the point <laughs> is, <laughs> sorry. The point is, dramatically and motivationally, you don't believe yes. in that proposal. So there again, we've got this no. issue that the the phone call about the uncle and that bequest from Australia is convenient. The marriage proposal mm. suggestion is convenient. The mm. zap thing is more played into it, and you feel like yeah, that's possible that she could have been yeah, um, this offer of emigrating and taking this job, but. Mm. I hadn't realised while watching episode four, this is important, that I hadn't, that this was parodying the ends of Victorian novels, because I hadn't mm. realised that's what Lodgett intended to do. Because Maybe because I haven't read enough Victorian novels that I didn't think mm. about, even though it was, this line was said in the script in the seminar, in the tutorial, mm. I hadn't realised that that's what he was going for. And when I was watching it, mm. I just felt, well, this is a bit silly, or this is a bit convenient. And as you said, it's, it's a bit farcical. Mm. Because it kind of needs to be signposted more that that's why everything felt convenient and weird. Did you agree?
1: I, I do often think with when when we do these, I've, I've said it about. I think I said it about the the, the uh, um, history man as well. I actually feel that you need to watch it and then watch it again to pick up on the things that actually sort of sort of take you through it if you see what I mean I know know that probably sounds but I actually do feel that actually it's probably all in there but it kind of passes you by because you don't until you get the punchline you don't ah, and of course if it's it's buried in, in so much other stuff you know you possibly don't notice it, you know, and so maybe it's it is again. It's one of those series that takes two viewings. Or of course, if you listen to two people garbing on about it, then you go away and watch it. You maybe got it in mind before. Yes, exactly. Poor, poor. We are we are, ruin, <laughs> we are ruining the plot for people, but equally, you know, it kind of it kind of gives you an insight if you if you know what to look for. It bears some discussion possibly... and
0: some reflection on yeah. what, what's actually going on. I just meant, must mention as well, Marion turns up at the office at one point. And she's wearing a T-shirt which says Only Connect on it. And it's no. meant to be um, an English literature T-shirt because it's, it's what mm. Ian Forster has as the frontispiece yes. in Howard's End. But of course now it just mm.
1: looks like she's promoting the quiz show. Connect*. <laughs> her mother contacts her about this legacy that she's got this... this and <clears throat> uh, she's got a passport out because she's going to go for the interview in yeah. America. And then you get this... Did you notice the colour of the passport? The Did
0: you notice the colour of the passport? Oh, it's very blue. Oh, it's blue. Oh, I, I can't wait black. for the days when we can have a blue passport again. If only we could destroy everything that we believe in, in all our <laughs> ideals, and absolutely everything about what makes this country <laughs> vaguely livable in. If only we could just flush that down all the fucking toilet so we could just fucking well be more racist, more sexist, and have a blue passport again. Oh,
1: those were the days, weren't they? The the nostalgia. (laughs) But anyway, no, she goes into the kitchen and uh, you just hear this, I don't believe (laughs) this. Which, of course, maybe as a viewer, we're going, no, I don't
0: believe it. I have. Well, I wrote down, Acorn Antiques phone call. (laughs) It's just like Miss Babs to get, oh, Uncle Potato from Algeria has left me some money. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, we don't uh, believe it.
1: Well, I mean, you could argue that you you win some, you lose some, and all this kind of thing. But, uh, but I don't know. In in terms of you know, uh, for some, for someone who's always used to losing some and, and not getting the win some, it's it's kind of nah. It, it's too bloody convenient, especially when the size of this legacy being just you know, enough, not in yeah, Well, it's not inconsiderable. No, it's over a hundred. But grand, it's certainly it? an, and she's so dismissive of it that she wants to give it all away. And he won't let her give her it all away, but, but so when Warren decides he's going to, you know, his wife has been really supportive, he comes back and, you know, and she says, oh, well, I'll invest in you. Yeah. So, so again, the reversal from, and the change in circumstances from the beginning of episode one, where they were at loggerheads to this, oh, yes, you can have all my money to throw away on your spectrometer. Yeah. Which I'm sure will make her a, a fortune and she'll become one of these damn people that that is uh, bloody Charles will be buying shares in before.
0: Yes, ah, exactly. That's not good. She'll get more Dynasty suits. I think she'll turn ever more into Crystal or Alexis.
1: Um... <laughs> well, of course, um, she, does it? Is it peak practice? She. she yes. Yes. In, she had a big role in that. And and drop the dead yeah, donkey as course. well. You know. So she she has she does have a you not know, I don't I don't know whether she ever ever plays a, a Carrington. Like <laughs> she should but she certainly turns up in a lot of things maybe they all turn up in a lot so, of things so anyway
0: exactly. she's faced with this offer and this turning point what to mm. do and then there's the mm. weirdest sequence in the whole thing weirder than Diana Huntress and the nymphs and the, all the, mm. the naked factory dogs and, all that stuff. <laughs> mm. and you get this situation where she's looking out the window at rummage Birmingham mm. and she's watching this guy with a lawnmower going towards people who are sitting on the grass it's really weird mm. because this is, it gets weirder, but this is the start weird bit. This is actually happening in reality mm. where this guy is lawnmowering almost into people and they're getting up really at the last moment before the lawnmower goes mm. over them. And it, this keeps mm. happening, and I didn't understand that because if someone's mowing a piece of grass, you just get off it. You don't just sit there. <laughs> that was strange. I don't think that was important, mm. was it? But <laughs> the, the important thing was that suddenly all of the characters in the, in the play, I'm now going to call it deliberately, all mm. start th- flooding onto the campus through the gates and yeah, all the factory all workers, the factory workers
1: all the students, and they're all, all the horrible nasty and businessmen. Smiling
0: and throwing themselves in the air and mm.
1: carrying them each other over their
0: shoulders mm. and
1: they're all joyful. Mm. What I think what? I think she has a vision in, in the same way that, 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 that Vic has all these visions of naked women, which is fine. Um, I suppose, but um, but she has this vision of this ideal of bringing all the things together, and it's bollocks. <laughs> but but it's the point
0: that yeah. she but she thinks, oh, this is my chance to tick all the boxes to
1: make this happen. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's so you get this so you get this strangely cheesy. All right, I'll stay. But it's and it feels insane. Her...
0: That moment doesn't it? That it that does. that sequence yeah. just feels absolutely insane. I'm thinking, how on earth did they get? The cast to direct that and say, mm. This is your motivation
1: here. Everyone's like, Oh, well, we don't really understand, mm. but we'll do it. But mm. it's
0: very odd. It's incredibly odd. They all look
1: massively out of character to me yes. as well. Like, or rather, they, they, it's just like this is this is like the end of shoot party almost. Yes. It? But they must have put because you've had to bring all the extras from all the different sites to this one yeah. shoot to all be there on the day. Um, and just for this bizarre. You know, because you see Horrible Brian sort of laughing and joking with and, horrible secretary in the woman. middle of it all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, and and it's just, I mean, so, I mean, you can't imagine what they're actually saying as they as they, you know, is it just, uh, I don't know, just just look happy, you know. But um, it's a very odd sequence. But like you say, it's possibly her vision of what she can do here if she stays. Yeah. blah blah blah. Yeah. But. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, it, 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 you do actually, I mean, I don't know again. I mean, maybe it's just my, I mean, maybe maybe I'm not as good at watching television. As I'm, I'm not as, as, good as good at watching, you don't yeah. have to be good at watching television. No, but <laughs> but what I mean is, I was kind of thinking, what, what when it, you know, uh, I was actually very confused by it, is what I'm saying. Oh, I was,
0: totally. Uh,
1: I've had to think about it. I was, that I was thinking... Yeah. I, I was like, hey, it's, Something's happened here, and I'm not getting this. Why is this happening now?" And I'm, and I'm kind of saying, "I like to think I'm quite understanding of no, television when I watch it," but, but it just, it. I was just, what? And then, of course, it becomes, it becomes obvious that it's just a vision, because otherwise, otherwise, this campus has just been invaded by everybody from the factories for but no good reason. At, and I was thinking, "Where are the pitchforks? Where are the burning <laughs> <Exactly>. t- <laughs> <laughs> So then you have. But it's a utopian vision, I think.
0: Editor's note. While putting this podcast together, I now realise that the vision that Robin Penrose has relates back to her speech from episode two when she was talking about everyone should have access to university. And it's her vision of what a university can be for everyone and everyone coming onto the campus. So um, that was just in case anyone was screaming at um, this podcast so then you have a final coda after she's made a decision to mm. stay um, she, I'm, I'm mm. saying she chooses death um, and mm. that you have Warren Clark's character um, being surrounded mm. being Clark. surrounded by sunbed lorries driving along the motorway Indeed, and he just he mm. laughs his head off and he thinks it's hilarious yeah. I didn't like and I didn't there's... like that as an
1: ending it's a, it's well, it's the whole, you know, it's the whole. Um, what do you call it? Police story end, or police squad end, isn't it? It's it's kind of like the freeze frame on the laughter. It's the Star Trek. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. of a funny joke at the end. It really isn't great. I mean, th- there there is a there is a there is a thing about him selecting his because he's got some Vivaldi. He's got some Vivaldi on type. And he chooses. And, uh, he chooses Jennifer Rush again. Oh no, he chooses Randy Crawford. And he cho- and he chooses yeah the Randy Crawford tape instead because he gets finally realised that's what he likes. But he now is aware of Vivaldi. But you, he's also aware that there is a choice. And aha! But but I'm what a fool I've been. But I might as well listen to what I want to listen to. In the Wouldn't podcast. that have been a better and, ending though?
0: Just him pushing Randy Crawford, not actual randy crawford but the cassette into the (laughs) sorry that's a weird image there but just pushing that into the tape deck deliberately and very forcibly would have been and and throwing the vivaldi case on the car seat would have been a much more effective ending yes because that as as you say because it's it's about a choice and he's made his decision um which doesn't mean he won't play the classical sometimes it's just that for now he's happy with who he is and what he's going to do
1: indeed And indeed, they will be friends for life, even though after their their brief uh, intimate moment in Dusseldorf.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Dusseldorf!
1: You know, the factory's gone. All these deals yeah. have gone. Everything came came to nothing. Everything will be flattened. The whole, you know, we we see these flattened factories, and then these will all be, and the whole world will fall down. But he will become his his little. I don't know what 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 are they called. The spectrometer vans will be all over Birmingham. <laughs> Sorry, rummage before you know it. Yes.
0: Get your spectrometer here. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. there we go. Okay. So, what did we make of it overall? Okay, so in summary. I thought it was uneven, and if it hadn't yes. had episode three, I don't think I would have liked it half as much. I really thoroughly enjoyed episode mm. three,
1: which is unusual. Cause... It's interesting because cause the episode three of the History Man also, there's the big long meeting, yeah. and that sort of salvages yes, it does from, from a lot of problems. And well. I think
0: it's odd, because episode three is often like padding before you get to the end mm. sometimes, but in fact, mm. the, it was very good and so well done, and Mm. I really struggled to understand what they were saying about Robin. But I felt that I, mm. I was behind what they were saying about Vic. And I did like his journey, mm. even though he was, he was seen to be flawed and naive and all those things. Yes. But I didn't mm. believe the r- trajectory. Mm. But I felt yeah. that Hayden's character was a bit more of a fiction. And was mm. a bit too anti-feminist um, mm. in, as a narrative. But hmm. overall, I think they worked well together, and I could tell they enjoyed the chemistry while they were making it. I think
1: it does do it does do a, a big handbrake turn uh, before sort of part four. I think the interesting thing to me, and maybe it's because of the way I happen to end up watching it, but I actually sort of feel, in many ways, it might have worked better as eight half hours.
0: Oh yeah, maybe you know,
1: it's it's just just you know. I know that the hour long drama is, is what we're doing but it felt in many ways that each episode does seem to split into yeah. it, and actually maybe sort of spreading the chapters out would make it more uh, you know you'd actually be more invested in it I think it 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 it, it because of the, the the gear changes in the middle of episodes sometimes and, and the fact is that the time you know the, the time compression you know means that actually that, that one month later would be useful at the start of a a, a new episode, but but actually, when it comes immediately afterwards in the drama, it sort of feels like they're trying to tell to it's either that or what I'm saying is maybe it would have worked better as, as a six parter rather than a four parter just to give it more breathing space because the, there are moments in the plot where it feels too rough. I mean, the ending because it seems preposterous because it's very much all this stuff happens in 10 minutes, you know, and actually, the sense of the decay of the factories and everything like that would probably work better, oddly. If it was a, you know, a, a, over a longer period of time, and I think maybe maybe that's just I the, think
0: it's interesting that Lodge choosing that preposterous ending, which is deliberately mm, the Victorian novel ending of those different things, yes. um, is is that saying, well, actually, I'm no better novelist than a Victorian novelist. I feel it is because he couldn't find a way out of the plot other than to put those things in. I know it's a deliberate pastiche, but it also mm. is arguably a judgment on his creativity.
1: Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Or it, or it actually is trying to justify the validity of that form. Yeah, you. it's it's really I mean, interesting. What, what fascinate, you know, what fascinates me, uh, really, about when you look at, when you think back to the history of TV drama generally. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that the the high profile, the you know the the prestigious stuff we associate with BBC drama. Historic, not necessarily because we should, but 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 sort of culturally, we think, oh yes, you know the the you know the big dramas and all and the ITV ones. But actually, this kind of era, to me, ITV were doing Jewel in the Crown. They were doing head. you know, and well, Head was a quite a doing... lot earlier
0: actually.
1: Yeah, but 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 you know this this is what they were becoming known mm. for. You know, you had the the, the Jeremy Sherlock Holmes mm. going on around this time, and and yet. The BBC were doing these, actually, these these sort of dramas, which I don't, you know, you almost feel that I, I, there was a Dennis Potter thing where he sort of said that you know the ITV are, are good at one thing and BBC are good at another, Channel Four are good at one thing and BBC are good at another thing, and you almost feel that actually this this feels more like an ITV drama being done by the BBC. Yeah. <laughs> know you know, you and um, and it's sort of it's it, it it's an odd. It's an odd thing for them to have made, if you see what I mean.
0: It is, and and it won an award. It won the um, Royal Television Society it's... award for best serial drama, which I find quite surprising because I think it's quite, as I said, quite uneven. But it it not won plaudits, and I was aware of it. I've always been aware. And the of acting it. is brilliant. I
1: mean, no, not yeah. get wrong. The acting is superb. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. But we've you know we've we've talked in the past about things that get awards and you're surprised by. You know, with the real rock solid, <laughs> you know, you know. Um, so it's 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 not that it doesn't have a place. It's just it you you don't. I mean, I don't know how. Again, it's one of those dramas that I wonder how well remembered it is. Well, yeah.
0: Marisa was really uh, confused. We were doing it cause she said, "Well, I've never heard of it. I don't understand why you're doing it." But like me, she'd heard yeah. of David Lodge. So I'd heard of both of them. Yes, then. but I couldn't then work yeah. out what else I knew David Lodge from at all other than is he just mm. a novelist I know
1: mm. I think so yeah. really because yeah. he hadn't done any other TV dramas had he uh, no I, I did look, I did look him up and basically yeah it was the book okay so I think we've come
0: towards a conclusion here it was mm-hmm. I loved it at the start of this podcast I don't know whether we were recording at that point where you said this will probably be our shortest podcast ever but we're over two, we're <laughs> over two hours now and I knew we would be oh
1: crikey <laughs> We've gone on again, <laughs> so people will be getting sick of so our it's voices. It's probably
0: time to say goodbye.
1: <laughs> um, have you got any Indeed. any last word or closing thought? No, I think I think it's a satisfying four parter. If you, yeah. you know, and like I say, I think it does it does actually bracket well with History Man. I think the two yes. together actually give you a, a very much insight into sort of the changing face of university life in in that era. Uh, and it's it's an entertaining. The, the, the leads are you know enjoyable. You know. If you if you want to see a bit of raunch, you know, you get some raunch in there. So you know, if that's your bag, you know. So I it, and you know they are, I mean, like I say, it's it, it's a great, it's a great Warren Clark performance. Yeah.
0: and an equality and he's, of bottom, an quality of bottom,
1: indeed. And <laughs> yeah. it, well, it's also it's also a, you know it's a, it's a pretty good uh, Hayden Gwynn performance. It's just you know she's uh, less likable. I, I don't think her yeah. character. I don't think her character is as well served by it as, as Vix's, no, actually. I agree. Which, again, may, may say a lot about male female roles And
0: also that. about so. male writers and directors, possibly. Possibly also true. Yes. Would a, would, a, would a woman director have taken it somewhere different? I think so. Okay. Okay. Are we I done? Think we are. So next time.
1: We shall move on. Next time we're on.
0: Yeah. Oh. Oh, we're on. Oh. Ooh.
1: Yeah. Oh, yes. Do you think that might be another gritty northern drama? It
0: could be. Why,
1: Pet <laughs> How are we, man? <laughs>
0: OK, then. Until next time. Um, I have been Andy. I've been Martin.
1: Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye.
2: Listening to an A-Z
0: of UK TV drama. Next time, our friends in the North.